Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Bandwagon Nerds is taped in front of a live studio audience. again fellow basement dwellers nerds of all kind it is the one and only the lawyer one of your good friends dave unger here talking to you on this lovely royal rumble sunday which of course you guys will already know the results of the rumble by the time you listen to this but since there's only 22 of you loyal listeners out there fuck it you know that's that's all we can say it is it is time for another episode of bandwagon nerds on this lovely sunday January 31st, airing on the first day of February of 2021. Guys, the pandemic isn't over yet. Um, disappointed? No, no one cares. Well, I, the, bruh, the pan, understand. It's, historically speaking, pandemics don't end in a year. So, like, we're, we're doing pretty good. And we what? already got a... They don't? I mean, you know, I mean, if you believe the, the history books. But let me say this real quick. First and foremost, it's your boy... Ray Cash, a.k.a. The Reverend. The Reverend. Um, To my fellow black people, trans black, want to be black, shout out to Black History Month this week. And uh, next week, we're having the best in black cinema. I'm just joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) We should. No. no. We should, should, but, but Pat would kill me. I, I got to um, say, I, I was playing like NBA 2K the other day, and it was the the game took place on Martin Luther King's birthday, and they really do that up well. They got Martin Luther King's face in the corner of the screen, and they, yeah. I mean, I'm like, wow, this is really a cool tribute. So, well, well, that's a big basketball day. Like, you know, every sport has their own day, right? Like, Fourth of July is huge in baseball, right? Every because of the Sandlot, right? Because of the Sandlot, it's the one year, one day of the year you can play without, you know. At night games because of the fireworks. No, that's just me. I thought it was, I thought it was just because hashtag America. But sure, that too. Um, yeah, <laughs> that works for me too. Uh, but yeah, Martin Luther King is a big day in basketball lore. So yeah. we also, in addition to myself and the Reverend Ray Cash, we have a, a newbie, another virgin. Ray, you're no longer the virgin on the show. We've got a new virgin yes. making his yes. bandwagon nerds debut. 
he's somebody who uh, anybody on the chairshot.com has heard way too much of over the years, months, days. And if you want to reverse that, you can. But it is the one and only Andrew Belaz. Welcome to Bandwagon Nerds, Mr. Belaz. How are you, sir? You know, it's it's nice. It's good to have my what virginity back for the first time in like you know a decade and a half. So this is this is interesting. I think I'm supposed to say be gentle, but you know I'm also a little little just uh, taken aback because I'm the only one without wings. You got the Dave Unger, the winged the wing savior, the lawyer, and then you got the Ravens that Ray's representing. So I need to I need to get a bird behind me or something. Well, you, got a well, cream, you got a creamsicle buccaneer dude behind you. That counts. Speaking of that, I'm glad you brought it up. Two things. Both of our teams ain't in the Super Bowl. Yours is, number one. Number two, I want you to know, uh, since I'm a regular part of the show now on a, on a, I guess, a, a, a somewhat basis, I, I don't know if my contract has been officially signed yet. Nonetheless. You should uh, ask the lawyer about that one. Yeah. Oh, uh, <laughs> Are we renegotiating, Ray? Negotiations, yes. Um you we're we're kind of like on the show we're kind of like um the new japan young boy system in which you'll get your you know how you get your gimmick after you graduate mm-hmm. well you'll get your nickname eventually because it took me what like seven eight shows to get my nickname yeah oh, there we go. something like that i mean I, I would like to say though andrew with you saying how you got your virginity back you are now the envy of just about any female who's listening to this show <laughs> I don't know how many of the 22 <laughs> listeners we have are actually female, but you just scored major points with them. So anyway, we hey, got I'm we, just going to say if any of them are good Catholic girls, you know, they 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 took the back door in because Jesus can't see that. So they might still be. Oh, so it's OK. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. We are, up we are off and running here. <laughs> Bringing religion into the show in the first five minutes. My Lord. Ooh, uh, might as well throw some politics in there for, for you know, for fun. Right. No. That's Patrick's job. We're going to steer clear. I am not steering into that turn, man. (laughs) No, thanks. Ah, too much. Too much. That's that's just a loaded gun, man. You know, you don't walk around with a loaded gun. So unless you're a liberal, then you want to ban the loaded gun. So it's okay. There it is. is. I had to. It was too obvious. It was right there. Low hanging (laughs) fruit early on bandwagon nerds. So. Well, well, that's been our show, guys. Thanks for listening. Yeah, five minutes. That's a new record. Awesome. So you can check us. No, um, we got stuff to talk about on this episode, man. And I, I got to get Andrew's opinions. We got we got a lot of things to talk about today. Um, some of them more important than others. We got the return of the comic spotlight, which I'm excited to do with Ray. Have never done one with him before. I have a feeling that with you and with Andrew, that might take a little bit of time to go through because I know you've read a lot of the stories that we're going to talk about. But hey, okay, let's let's. Let's get to the elephant in the room, guys. WandaVision. Episode four came out. Uh, lots of things changed. Lots of questions got sort of answered. A lot of other questions got put to the forefront. So what what do we know about WandaVision? We found out that the city of Westview, or the, excuse me, the town of Westview never existed. The cops are there going, uh, we don't know what the hell this is. Detective Wu originally grew up in my home or my, my adopted hometown, not my real hometown of Bakersfield, California, which I'm like, wow, Bakersfield just made it into the MCU. We've hit the big time now. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, Monica Rambeau. She there. I mean, anyway, what did you guys think of this episode? I'm just going to kick it over to you because I don't want to occupy all the time. I want to get your guys opinions on this. 
It answered a lot of questions. We definitely seem to be going into the House of M sort of direction, uh, steering into that turn for sure. Uh, but there are there's a lot of loose ends that are still out there. There's a lot of questions that are still unanswered. You guys take take over, man. What did you think of this episode? This was probably the most important episode of them all so far because you learn that, yes, Wanda is doing all of this, or at least it appears that way. Whether she's really in control of all of it or not is a big if, but what are you guys thinking after four episodes of WandaVision? This was a big one. Okay, I'll jump in here. Um, so first and foremost, I'd like to point out to those of you who are upset that it took so long or that the storytelling is a bit slowly paced. Think, Try to think pre-Netflix, because like most linear storytelling is told from a week-to-week basis. Have a little patience, because... As, as evidenced by this episode, everything you asked for was given to you, right? Um, I, I think the beauty in the show is that you brought it up that there we had questions answered, but there were some questions that didn't need answering. I think we already understood that Wanda had some semblance of control over this entire situation. Now we know for sure that she has complete control over the situation. Um we knew that Monica Rambeau was probably involved with SWORD. We now know, and um, wonderful beginning, by the way, we finally got a chance to see the blip reversed in real time. First time we've seen that. That actually it wasn't created by Nick Fury. It was created by Monica's mother, Maria Rambeau, which is a really cool thing to think about. Um, that That was kind of her way of, the, the Captain Marvel story being branched out in her own world without needing Fury or Carol. Um, we know that Jimmy Woo finally figured out how to do the damn magic trick with his uh, card. So shout out to Jimmy Woo, who is a great character, by the way. But most importantly, shout out to the fact that they brought back Darcy Lewis and, and like, no, there is no end in Marvel. There is no, like, loose end that is not always covered or cut. Or, or, or finished, and I love that. So, some of the interesting things about the episode are the um, the obsession with hexagons, right? Uh, there is a hexagon over Westview, and if I may correct you, my brother, Westview is not that Westview never existed, it's that Wanda or, if there is something more sinister afoot, has completely taken everybody's mind and wiped it, which is why they don't know Westview exists. Because those very cops you saw were from, wait for it, Eastview. So if there's an Eastview, there's probably a Westview. Um, adding to that, it's interesting that it is, to use the term that they used, subterraneous. Because homeboy climbing through the sewers went through, the tether became untethered, word to Jordan Peele. And he became, of all things, a beekeeper. Um, I don't know if that is an, an allegory to aim because of the beekeepers. If that's an allegory to swarm, we don't know what that's about. So we'll find out as we go. It's also interesting to know that um, I mentioned a couple of episodes ago that you can see after the first episode, somebody's watching it. Well, it's it's really cool to me that it's being it's almost being broadcast, probably unbeknownst to Wanda, as a sitcom. And that they can literally just watch the sitcom, and when the real life stuff happens, more per- most per- most pertinently, when Geraldine mentions mentions Pietro and Ultron, 
showstop wanted to go and handle her business. And then when you, if you're watching the feed, it's just edited out like that's never happened. I thought that was a really cool addition to the story. Um, I know there's more meat under the on the bone. I want to give it to Andrew, but my last thing I want to mention is um, there there really may be more something more sinister afoot because they were able to find every person missing except for um, Agnes, who we still think might be Agatha Harkness, right? But everybody else was shown, so that's so there could be something more sinister afoot. But it's interesting to note that this is all Wanda because when she got uh, Monica the fuck out of there. She built that stuff back up like it was nothing. So this is all Wanda, and um, that that I think that I think that breeds some really interesting history episodes. Seeing as we know they're gonna have an '80s style sitcom and a '90s style sitcom, and there's more foot. There's, there's one more thing I want to get to, but I want to hear Andrew's first. And I think the one thing I want to get to after Andrew is probably the most important thing I noticed in the entire show. Yeah, I want to get Andrew to it. I mean, you're right; it is all Wanda, but is Wanda in control? Are there, are there infiltrates in there who are manipulating her along the way? And I think, uh, you know, we'll, we'll touch on that in a bit, but yeah, Andrew, I want to get your opinion. Your first time, your first, first thoughts on this show coming up on the bandwagon nerds podcast. You know, what are your thoughts? If you want to go back a little bit and do a little retconning as to what you think of, uh, the first three episodes leading in, that's fine. But what do you think of this? I mean, I don't know how familiar you are with the house of M story, do you see this going in that direction? It sure looks like they're trying to do something like that. I'm vaguely familiar with House of M and also a little bit with S.W.O.R.D., but they also changed the acronym for S.W.O.R.D., so that could mean they're going in a different direction, generally speaking. Uh, um, <clears throat> to go back, since since Ray alluded to it before about how there were people that were kind of poo-pooing the slower pace and all that other stuff, the only thing that bothered me in the first episode was I did not like the parody style of the 50s kind of whatever dick van dyke show whatever you want to call it was it felt a little too hokey a little too parody and not quite true to the time frame where that was actually how they were and it also threw up a lot of the plot holes on how do they not have their backstory figured out and in four if wanda can just fix a hole and fix a hole in like six houses in a whole neighborhood and eject somebody how come she couldn't figure out how to make dinner in like, you know, a snap of her finger. So it's that was awkward to me just from the way that it was paced. I'm glad that the next couple episodes paid off and you kind of slowly got it. And I didn't really get hooked into it until the third episode when it all started to kind of take shape. You saw the little bit with Geraldine. And then I'm like, all right, now now we're kind of getting to somewhere that's interesting. So I'm kind of happy that they paced it out the way they did. I'm also happy that I waited until the third episode was released before I even caught up with it, because I can understand why the pacing is hard for some people, especially with the fact that Marvel has been known as more of a little bit more of a popcorn movie kind of superhero gimmick where it's cool stuff, it's explosions, it's fast paced, it's bing, bang, boom. And now you're trying to do a little more psychological. I could see why that would drop off a couple fans. But t- taking four as it is, I agree that it could possibly be something more. So I like the fact that everybody's kind of pointing at, oh, Wanda knows what she's doing. Oh, Wanda's in control. When it doesn't, it doesn't seem like she's a thousand percent in control because she's still questioning when things break her immersion and she's still 
questioning what this could be and what that could mean and what did you say. And it's not so much a, you said the wrong thing, immediately ejected. It was, what? And it's like, it's like a psychotic breakdown is kind of the kind of where I see her at, especially with the way the whole vision picture changed at the very end where you saw dead vision with the, the mind stone taken right. out of his face. Right. And then she kind of had to blink and fix that. So it could be she's more in control than we think, but something had to push her there. And since we know it's post blip, we know it's post end game. So post all of this crazy shit, post her little conversation with, what was it? Hawkeye, I think when they were talking about wish, wish that, uh, uh, Scarlett Johansson and Vision were there to see it, and it's a whole. Oh yeah, they'll, they'll know, or, or they'll figure it, or whatever the heck she said. That was kind of felt like a throwaway line, but now it's kind of feels like maybe she's trying to make that happen, and like a self-contained world of either what she wishes the world was, or what her psychotic break is kind of bringing her to, and she just doesn't want to face reality without Vision. Could be that, or it could be something a little worse, but it's fun. It's interesting, and honestly, I love the addition of Kat Dennings because I think her character added that right type of modern-day, modern Marvel kind of snark that the films have, and she kept it moving very well. And the fact that she was kind of taking the role of the Watcher, even though when, you know, he, she's just like, shh, I'm invested. And it's like, it's like okay, fine, that's, that's funny, just to kind of watch somebody else watching what we already saw. So... It's fun. I think my biggest question that came from all of this, since we didn't see a commercial in episode four, because it technically didn't take place in the Wanda world, whatever you want to call it, is that Wanda kind of exercising some of her Hydra demons or whatever it is? Or is there something that's kind of implanting the commercials, which is why we didn't see it happen in this one? Yeah. I mean, you raise a lot of good points. It's, it's, <laughs> I think like anything that reminds Wanda of the reality that we know as outsiders watching, you know, post Endgame and all that, anything that reminds her of that triggers a, a, a very distinct and not violent, but, uh, you know, a, a aggressive response, right? Where uh, Monica reminds her about Pietro, her, you know, you know why hasn't she recreated P- Pietro, you know, in this whole world? Uh, reminding her about him, reminding her about Ultron, she boots her out of the simulation or whatever this this reality is. Uh, she sees, <laughs> and, and you could see that that interaction with Monica really kind of rattled her because when Vision walks through the door, like you said, Andrew, it's dead Vision, and she's got to replace that real quickly. So, yeah, Wanda's doing it all, but you get the feeling that she's she's at this point maybe holding it together by a thread. Here's my questions for you guys is, yes, this like like Monica says, this is all Wanda. Wanda's doing it all. Okay. We see her power. We see her recreating things. I, I mean, I go back to that scene, that standoff between her and Thanos in Endgame where she's saying, you know, you took everything from me. And he goes, I don't even know you. And she goes like, well, you will. And she shows just how much power she had in that moment. So we know that Wanda, it, it, her power set continues to grow almost exponentially from where we first saw her in age of Ultron to now. But yeah, like the next door neighbor, Herb and, and Agatha or whatever the hell her name is. Here's Agnes. A, Agnes. Here's the thing is like, okay, we know that people can get 
on the set. It's almost like that movie, The Truman Show, right? You know, where it's like people sneaking on <clears> set. We, so we know people are coming on set and Wanda may not necessarily be aware of who they are, or what their, you know, what their motivations are. So you've got Agnes and you've got Herb who are in this, in Wanda's reality and she sees them as friendly, as allies, but they themselves know that this is all fucked up. And, and that dichotomy that's going on, it's like, okay, who are you two? What, who put you there? A, how did you get on into this simulation or in this reality? Who are you? What's your motivation? And who are you really working for? Those were the questions that weren't answered in this episode. And, and yes, you got to learn a lot of this stuff. It's like, okay, this thing's being broadcast on some crazy like UHF channel or some shit like that. And we all get to watch it. And you've got all these things going on and, and it's like, okay, well, I, you know, Wanda's in control, but she's not in control. I still feel like somebody's pulling the strings on her to a certain extent. Like she started this, somebody else got in there and now they're manipulating her, which of course leads to a lot of, uh, a lot of interesting questions. But anyway, I turn it back to you guys that this, this is, this show keeps getting better and getting more intriguing all the time. And, and this episode really kind of put it over the top. I think your earlier illusion with Agnes might be something, even if it's not Agatha Harkness or whatever it was, is just the interesting part there is the fact that she references a husband, which I think she calls Ralph in the first couple episodes. And we have not met Ralph. Even at mm -hmm. the talent show, there was no Ralph next to her watching the talent show. Mm -hmm. And she just happens to show up immediately when there's food needed and she always like what kind of good housewife doesn't have like a, a four course meal ready and she just finds this and has has ways to kind of intrude on the situation like especially with herb about to tell vision something and then agnes just happened to you know position herself there to talk to Herb and be like oh oh yeah no we shouldn't say that kind of thing and it was the look of fear on her face i think sells that you don't think she's in control which is to push the blame onto wanda but there's there's got to be more there, and I, I like your earlier illusion where it's probably her, because not only did they not find a real-world equivalent to who she really was before Westview blipped, it was just she's always in the right place at the right time, it seems, to keep the, the sitcom rolling. So, And until we find out who the hell Ralph is, because my, my goofy, out-of-left-field kind of thing would be, I would love it if... Cable was involved here somewhere because Cable was supposed to be involved in the comic sword and just for the pun on the fact that it's a sitcom and it's involving Cable and you know Cable time, time distortion kind of thing like that it all kind of works and it's just a good pun that I think they could easily pull off in Marvel Disney World. The fact well, that uh, hold on just a sec Ray I want to add, put throw this over to you the fact that Darcy's involved. Um, We've always assumed WandaVision's leading into Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I think that's obviously something that's going to happen. Does Darcy's involvement open the door to Thor being involved, Jane Foster being involved, Thor Love and Thunder, whatever the next one's going to be? Are, are they trying to tie all this stuff in, you know, together? What What do you think about that? I I mean, anything's possible in the Marvel world. I don't think so, only because of the way she was introduced. She wasn't specifically brought in alone. They when when they're in the, she's in the uh, back of the van and she's asking everybody what do you do what do you do what do you do and they all were in different fields and she was like okay well they just picked they don't know what's going on so they picked everybody in every field to see what's up and just so happened Darcy's the only one that had the wherewithal to figure out what was going on 
I, I can understand if they pointedly went and said, we need her because we think it's this. Then Yeah, I can see an, an allegory there. I don't see that. Um, I do want to point to you and um, something you said earlier. You had the two questions, or the, the questions. I, I want to, I had two questions of myself. Uh, Andrew brought the second one. But um, the one question that ties into what you said earlier, Dave, is why Westview? Of all the places this could have happened, why this random New Jersey city? All the weird shit happens in New Jersey. Don't you watch television? That's true. New Jersey or Florida, you're right, but you're right. <laughs> um, you're completely right. At least but you I'm didn't just... call it Mayberry, man. Be happy with Westview. Oh, it could have been Mayberry. Lord have mercy if it had been Mayberry, number one. Number two, and I think this is probably a, a really good conversation that we could all have, is the sentience of vision. So... I I had been thinking about this, but it really hit me when you saw the vision of uh, when you saw the vision of Vision dead with the mind stone out, out of his head. But in every episode, Vision realizes something's wrong here, and Wanda fixes it, or Wanda re- reverses it, or Wanda speeds up time, or whatever it is. Every episode, episode one um, with the heart, and then when they're eating and stuff is going on, Vision has something wrong. We don't, why don't we have? Um, Wedding rings, or or how? We, why don't we know what, how we got together? Episode two, was that oh, it was the baby, right? Oh, it was her friend. I was, three, what was three it? Was a bit. Two was the uh, that, two was that, the bubble gum in the system, so he was all drunk. Yeah, and yeah, goofy right. And, the, the, but at the but at the end of the but at the end of the show, when before she got pregnant, it was something that well, that was part of it. But something he said to her that realized something wasn't normal, and she fast forwarded, and then and then they sat down and was talking about it. Oh, three, of course, right, with the base. he was walking in off the, like the off the step from the front door. She right. said something, and she's like, "Nope, again." <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing I want to throw out to you, Ray, because they they even yeah. say it in this episode, and it relates to Vision. Is he alive? I, I mean, we know we saw him die. She's created this alternate reality. Is Vision alive in this reality, or is he just her mental projection? Because if he's just her mental projection, he shouldn't be able to start questioning all this shit. That's what I'm trying to figure out, and that you, you hit it right on the head. You hit the nail right on the head. He had there has to be a level interesting of interesting question, though. It is. How do and, you define alive? Let's go there, because Vision was kind of robotic, sentient, but he wasn't. He was like kind of artificial life form. So, do you think that her powers allow her puppet mastery, so to speak, where he may not be completely there because the Mind Stone's not there? But if she can force him kind of to animate, like if you're trying to boot up an old like gateway computer from the 90s, it's still going to try to update. It's still going to try to do its thing. But there's obviously going to be things going wrong because it's, you know, not quite right. So it, it, well, I think that really depends on your definition of what entails alive. And remember, well, that's what, why I did remember what we talked about on one of these episodes not too long ago. Shuri downloaded most of Vision's consciousness right before infinity in, in infinity war to try to get him in a place where they could upload his consciousness somewhere so they could remove the mind stone and not kill him. So did Wanda access that, you know, is, is that, possible. is that out there somewhere where, where most of what was vision is still attainable, but she's obviously created him. And like there, I think in this episode there, Darcy and, and Wu are all like, is vision alive? So they're even wondering the same damn thing that we're all wondering is like, how is this working? You know, is he, is he real or is he just a, you know, is he just like an echo of what vision was? And and that's why I use the word sentient and not alive because I don't think he's alive by any stretch of the imagination. 
But with sentience brings a little more freedom and movement and 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 reality and whatnot. Um, but that, that that's something really interesting to me because the the interaction with with him and Herb at the end of episode three, when he keeps going back outside, he's like, wait a minute, what something's not right here. Like that's not something that somebody who isn't aware of their surroundings would do, you know. And so. That makes me wonder that, and that gives credence to you guys' opinion that there is something more afoot. And uh, I have a theory. You wanted the husband to be capable. What if the husband is? We keep coming back to this, Mephisto. He could be. He, he very well could be. I mean, there's. Well, you know what? Before we go there, let's welcome into the uh, to the show. We've got a, another member. The live studio audience is here. Give it up for the one and only PC Tunney. Yeah, no. apparently I'm Twitter inmate whatever now from Patrick. So fuck yeah. you, Patrick. What are you, yeah, okay, yeah, hold on, time out. Before we your, get to one of it. your fucking Cardinals too, Nolan Arenado bullshit. I can't wait for the text I'm going to get tomorrow. Why? But, why are you in Twitter why jail? Why are you in Twitter jail? I don't know. I don't know. I got up this morning and I liked a few things and tweeted and went in and followed a couple people and then I went back and tried to follow one more person and it popped up and said. For the next three days, you are limited to who you can follow, what you can tweet, what you can like, and what you can retweet. And I'm like, oh, and They didn't okay. tell you why. They didn't tell you why. There it is. Wow. There's probably There's a probably limit like limit there is like in there Facebook is in because Facebook, Facebook does the same thing. If you like we, too many things, then it just kind of puts you into, like, you know, pitch count. Can, can we start the hashtag free Tony? Please. No. No. Why no. It's, no, not this year's. You want Tony? You can you want, still do things. You just have to be more concise. Come on, figure it out. Tony, you want Rick's number? He's been in Facebook jail more times than I can count, so he might be able to help you out. He's also I got have, fifteen accounts. That's true. Because I, I, I have to refriend a new one every fucking week. It feels like. <laughs> <laughs> I have Rick's number. All right. Anyway, uh, all that notwithstanding, you, Mister Tony, your thoughts? Wandavision episode four, big, huge episode. We've been talking about it. So far, everybody's got theories, some questions answered, other questions now even more concerning than they were before. What are your thoughts on uh, on what we saw here? I, It's great. I think the point, the fact that we got to see what's happening outside while everything's happening inside, right? Like you get to see like the drone that came in it go back and flash back to the red helicopter, right? And it turns old, it turns back to the time it was. Um, you know, we, we, we know what's going on and, and why... Um, Oh, what's her name? I always I forgot her name all last week. Um, Geraldine. Monica. Yes, Gerald- Geraldine slash Monica. Geraldine gets popped out of the, the prism or whatever vortex they're in there, you know, and then they investigate. I, I just like it. It's connected. I think, honestly, that episode is probably more key. I mean, for us, we're digging deep into it and trying to assume what's happening and things of that nature. And, and that's what we do. Right. But I think for people that aren't as big a Marvel fans. They finally got to go, oh, this is what's going on right now. So if you're watching this and you're not really up to date with the whole storyline of that's gigantic within Marvel crossing all these different things, you know, you actually got to look into what's actually happening outside of it. I don't know what's going on. I'm super intrigued, though. It's been great. And yeah, I mean, did Wanda put herself in here so that she could create her own world and she's just, you know, trying to keep everybody out? You know, we also seen that the guy who went down in through the sewer came up and what were the bees about? Do we know that yet? Nope. We don't know that. So, that's why I'm sure you guys tell, 
I'm sure you guys touched on all everything I just said, but yeah, I'm enjoying it. I can't wait for next week. I've got people that aren't even Marvel fans in my life that are watching this right now and are like, oh, I'm hooked. Yeah. Oh, I'm like, okay, go back and watch this. Go back and watch that, you know? So I think you're going to get, Marvel's going to get more fans that they didn't have before because it's a sitcom and not a movie that people have to sit down and watch I mean, for two and a half hours. There's people who aren't Marvel fans out there? Really? I'm sorry. I mean to break that to you and Patrick. Oh, damn it. That's shocking. Dave's going to have to rewind like Wanda because you just broke his immersion right there. Yeah. Now my, <laughs> now my own Again. reality's been fucked. Again. <laughs> but uh, Just eject him from your, your bubble, Wanda. <laughs> yeah, please do. But, you know, the thing is that uh, what Tony says with her creating this reality, that's where the whole House of M thing comes in where she couldn't deal with certain things. She created this reality. Wolverine was the one who broke through and, and kind of fucked the whole thing up in House of M. And then you got the whole No More Mutants thing. Um, I'm still wondering, Ray, I know you and I have touched on this a few times, whether this is the House of M in reverse, where she's going to bring mutants into existence at the end of this whole thing uh, as a means of trying to counteract whatever's being done to her. I still think there's at least a 50 to 60 percent chance that that's on the table. Where do you guys, before we end the whole WandaVision discussion, where do you guys see this thing going in the next episode? We're going to the 80s. That seems, I imagine they're going to go back to Wanda's perspective, you know, as opposed to Monica's and Wu's and, and all that shit. I think we're going to go back to Wanda's perspective. You saw it at the end of this episode. Hitting the 80s. Where do you guys see this thing going at this point? Or what do you expect to happen in the next episode, if anything? Well, something's well, going to happen, obviously. But, you know, you know what I mean. To your point about Reverse House of M, both the first sons are mutants. And while they got out of the not having the uh, access to the mutant term by saying that the Vine Stone opened up latent abilities in Wanda and Pietro, that can be re-explained by saying they were already mutants. They had the gene, and the Mind Stone opened up the gene, which could essentially make Wanda and Pietro in this world the first mutants, which could, in fact, be why her wanted to bring back Pietro and her sons. There's a very, there's a, there's a, there's a lane there for that. I think what to expect in this next episode is for Wanda's world to continue to come crashing down very slowly, with Sword and the FBI and everybody involved now. And now that they have firsthand evidence of some of what was in the bubble or the vortex, with Monica being kicked out. And she can give a firsthand um, interact uh, reaction of what actually was happening in there. And I think there'll be a, it'll be a little easier now to try to get if not get back in to continue to break down the walls, no Jericho, um, you know, sort of, so to speak. And I expect for Vision to keep seeing something wrong. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Mega God. Um, but, uh, you know, I, 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 there's, it's very clear to me that every episode that is in the sitcom stage, more and more is going to happen that Wanda can't control and has to keep changing. Episode three was really big with her having the baby and not being able to control the stork or being able to control the water or being able to control Geraldine and more and more is going to keep happening in that regard. And I think that's massively interesting. Yeah, Tommy and Billy could be a real key to this thing. The two babies, because if something happens to them and she brings in Wiccan and Speed, they're definitely going to be mutants and off to the races we go. Sure. 
You guys got any I mean, last thoughts before we leave the realm of Westview and move on to I, other things? Yes, I love Kat Dennings and to bring her character back when she what is she, Dr. Lewis from Thor, right? Darcy. Um, Darcy. What is it? What is her last name? It is it, it is, is Lewis. It is Lewis. It is Lewis. It is Lewis. Okay. Yeah. I I love her. I love her as an actress, and then I, I like that character too. So I thought that was pretty cool. Them, you know. Her just blatantly knowing more than everybody else when she walks in there, and they still treat her like shit, and she still helps them anyway. So, just one of my one of my favorite parts of the episode. I think the interesting part is this should be technically the halfway point for the way they do most seasons nowadays on Netflix or whatever, because it's usually like about ten episodes, and we're we're approaching episode five. So we already kind of saw the hints that at the end of the other episodes come to being or come to fruition whatever and i say because the end of episode one was somebody watching it i looked like that was kat denning's character that was watching it so it wasn't necessarily maliciously watching it was you kind of gave the little snippet of her watching the television show and now you get the hydra stuff on two and three five is probably going to either hint to whoever ralph is if we think agnes is actually involved because we might get like her coming home and then a shadowed figure or like a hello honey kind of thing. And then maybe somebody you don't quite see in the shot. And then we realize he's there. We just haven't seen him yet. Or it might hint towards what's behind it because it can't be 100% one. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's too clean of an answer. So five should start hinting at that because we should see a couple more episodes of building. Like you were already saying, it's an eighties episode, then probably a nineties episode then probably another modern times with Kat Dennings and the crew. And then we're going to get the last couple episodes to kind of season finale it or series finale. I don't even know how many seasons they had in mind for this and then give us kind of some kind of answer and spin into the other movies. So this, this should probably start to hint at an answer for some of the questions we brought up already today. And Dave, I have some news for you. Uh, do we have a breaking news uh, drop? We definitely have a breaking news drop. I mean, that is something we definitely have. This just in, PC Tunney, a major dick. I'm just joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That was too, too perfect. That's not breaking um, news. <laughs> it's too perfect. Breaking no, news. I'll, all jokes aside, um, WandaVision is set for a nine-episode slate. But... Um, in a recent Facebook post, the STW talent agency indicated that their eight, that their clients, Selena and Dues, will be in episode 10 of WandaVision. So apparently there's a bonus episode of WandaVision that we didn't know about that will be dropping on March 12th, which is the last week before talking to the Winter Soldier. See, sometimes I like going into these things blind because I didn't want to look into anything to spoil myself, so... I'm I'm always happy when a, a random fucking guess works itself out. <laughs> there you go. That's right, and and it does raise the question as to whether there's going to be a tie-in. Does WandaVision lead into Falcon and Winter Soldier in any way? Because they wouldn't seem to go together, but you never know. And remember, Falcon and Winter Soldier was supposed to be the first, um, first show right. out in Phase Four. Right, but it got pushed back because pandemic. So it's interesting and, to see if they will. And does match. Darcy's involvement lead to some crossover with Loki? All these shows could be interconnected. The plot thickens. Well, let's uh, let's leave Marvel. That's great discussion. WandaVision raging along. One of the best new shows, certainly the best new show of 2021. 
as far as we're concerned. But we got some other news. Let's switch over to the Distinguished Competition, also known as DC Comics and Warner Brothers. Big news coming out of there, at least amongst us. Patrick O'Dowd less than enthused about this whole thing, as we all know, because Pat thinks that Zack Snyder is trash. But we got the word. I know. Ray's giving you the thumbs down, Pat, just so you know. Where's the live studio audience? Boo this man. Not Ray. They're here. Not Ray. Don't boo Ray. For Patrick? Yeah. Patrick, Patrick out, everybody. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Ray Cash. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Andrew Snowflake Balaz. I butt chug salt water all the time. Hey, they're not supposed to know the gimmick. What the fuck? This is a shitty studio audience. Damn it. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know how I can top that. I can't, but I'm just going to break the news. That's already been broken. We got news this week, guys. Snyder Cut, Justice League, coming March 18th to HBO Max. Part one of the news. Part two is that they f- switched this. They swerved us, Andrew. They switched this and went from a four one-hour episodes to just one big-ass four-hour movie. <clears throat> so this is like a 27-part question here, guys. Part one, are you excited about this release date? Are you enthused? Are you looking forward to it? And two, four-hour movie, one sitting. What do you think about that? I know in the streaming environment, then you don't actually have to sit there for four hours unless you really want to. Is this a smart move by DC? Is it not? Your thoughts on this big breaking news. Snyder Cut coming in, what, a month and a half? That's not far off at all. No. And honestly, it, it's, it, there's not a, it's not a very high bar to be better than the original Justice League. So everybody that likes DC and had hope for anything that could have been the DC Cinematic Universe should be excited. I'm just... I'm more interested at what they changed. I've seen the trailer. I saw like the little hints that him and Cavill did at the fan fest and all that other stuff. And it's, it's cute, but how much of that actually persists through the show and through the movie and how much do we see the difference? And four hours is a schlog. Like, I don't think anybody's going to sit here and be like, yeah, I totally love sitting through Titanic for the the three hours or whatever it was in the 90s. And now we're going to get three and a half to four hours or whatever the actual runtime ends up being for Snyder Cut. I just I hope it's better because DC has rebounded nicely from their terrible start. You know, because Shazam was a great movie. The first Wonder Woman was good. No, the first Wonder Woman was great. The second Wonder Woman, good. Not as good as the first, but that's hard to kind of come up to and it's just i'd like to see this work especially because the more recent superman movies have been it's superman you can't do a lot with him so if they can make him interesting and you can make him less boring and less you know i'm i'm the fucking boy scout and i'm just fucking superman and i have all these powers but i'm gonna hold myself back because i don't know reasons they've loved you right now Dave loves you right now. Can you tell oh, I, I hate Superman so much. But, yes. So that was so Andrew Belaz, folks. Uh, nice working with you, Andrew. Talk to you later, buddy. Mm. Oh, did I, hit a, did I hit a nerve? Just keep going with what you were saying, man. It's I all just, right. Hey, you know, I, I don't mind the original two movies, but come on. <laughs> Superman has not been interesting in the cinematic universe for about 50 years. And the comics are even drier of a read. 
But either way, it should be it should be entertaining. If you have to watch it in two two hour clips or whatever it is, do it. It's just it can't be any worse than the original one. So you can only go up. Well, to to add on to what you said, let's let's look at this analytically a little bit. The first Justice League, the original was two hours long. That's two hours. That's like a second movie on top of this one. Now, yes, they've got four to five minutes of new footage, but that's like an hour and 55 minutes of shit that they started, never finished that they have now finished. And I know a lot of it's going to be fleshing out backstory of these characters, but what else is in there? I mean, what else are... And here's the other thing, and before I kick it over to Ray, Andrew's right. It can't be much worse. I didn't hate Justice League, but it wasn't what any of us wanted. So the bar is set really low. Let's say, though, I think we're all kind of curious about what it is, but let's go out on a limb and say, what if this movie exceeds all expectations? And I'm not going to be dumb enough to say it's going to be on Avengers level, maybe Age of Ultron level. That's possible, sure. But if it exceeds all of our expectations and is really good, what does that do to the DCEU moving forward? Does it change their plans? Does it green light a Justice League 2? What happens? Um your thoughts, Ray, on, on a lot of this stuff we're talking about. The answer to that last question is no, because of two words, Ray Fisher. The reason that they're releasing this in a four hour movie instead of the one hour weekly episodes is because of two words, Ray Fisher. They just want to be done. They just want it to be over. They just want to get it. Out. They've, 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 they've made the mistake in their eyes of even green lighting this thing and giving it credence then ray fisher has brought to light and and went off on everybody not just jeff johns not just josh whedon now walter hamada like he's going after everybody not zach and though it's, not zach though well not well not yeah right not zach of all people but zach don't work for dc no more um so uh, but I just think that it, they 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 kind of almost feel like we did this for, of course they did it for money, but we did this to show, so the fans could shut up and we we could get some goodwill, and the goodwill we got from doing this has been eroded because of two words, Ray Fisher. So let's just get it over with. In terms of the movie, I'm super excited because not only are they gonna uh, uh, expand backstories, but there were parts of the movie that they like the whole nightmare scene was supposed to be an entire. I'm not going to say a, a whole movie, but the whole nightmare scene was supposed to be a lot longer than a vision, right? So uh, that's they're going to show more of that. Um, I'm sure we're going to get, like you said, more into the backstories, more into the backstory of universe when you saw the Lanterns and the Atlanteans and the Themyscirians, the Amazons, all fighting against uh Steppenwolf or Darkseid in the beginning was for the mother body. Like, there's so much more that you could expand that didn't need to be just a two-minute clip into five or ten minutes. And I'm sure over time, I mean, Cyborg's creation was given literally two minutes. And that is one of the most intricate backstories that they have, you know? And um, something you've, you've talked about often that you wanted to be, um, Dave, that you wanted to be put in the, in the forefront because he is kind of an OG member of the Justice League, at least TV-wise and movie-wise, is Martian Manhunter. Well, again, it's been announced Martian Manhunter has been in the DCEU the entire time. Maybe we finally get to see John Johns in the green and red. There's so much more that you can go with that's just beyond the what we've seen on camera that you can add that would be feasible 
to the understanding and the finish of the movie. Plus, the entire movie, we see we don't see any dark side. Dark side is in this movie. Yeah, so, that's like, big. Yeah, so you, you're not going to bring dark side in this movie. This ain't going to be a Thanos in the chair and someone says death and he smiles. Like, it's going to be more than that. Um, I'm not saying he's going to be fighting people, but it's going to be more than that. So there's, I think, a whole lot of ways they can go. And all four of us here are podcasters, um, internet hosts, writers of some sort. Dave, you're a lawyer, so all four of us know and uh, excel at the art of bloviation. So I can imagine if you're speaking and you're bloviating, it's a lot easier to make a movie and bloviate. So, Man, Ray just breaking out the big words and throwing Ray Fisher under the bus all at the same time. That's, 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 I mean, that's He ain't wrong, but when it comes to Ray's crime shit. (laughs) (laughs) You know. But I mean, I mean, I'm hoping for more than that. I'm hoping it's just like, God, let's just get this the fuck out of our hair so that people will shut the hell up about it. Because, but at the same time, it's like, why four hours then? And, And Zach, you know, who's pimping the shit out of this movie, uh, is is in his mind obviously it's a big improvement, like you guys are saying. Can't be worse than the original Justice League, which just fell flat in every possible way. Yeah, I mean, give me Green Lantern's Martian Manhunter throwing like Red Tornado or something or the Atom, I'll be ecstatic. And give me Dark Side and have it actually make sense. Bring Superman back to life in a way that fucking actually makes sense. Sure, I'm in. Black suit Superman. Black suit. We Maybe. know he's there. We know he's there. So I yeah, I mean I'm I'm still cautiously optimistic about this. I'll be tuning in. I may watch all four hours in one sitting because I'm that kind of guy. That sort of thing. But uh Don't forget Deathstroke. Yeah, right? Deathstroke was at the end of Justice League. Maybe they, maybe we get the, the creation of the Legion of Doom officially. Like there's a whole there's a whole lot you can add. Yeah, there's a lot of questions going on. Uh, not so many it's kinda like WandaVision. Lots of questions. We're not really sure the answers to this thing as to what's what are they going to do with this? Where do they go with this thing? Does this tie in in any way? You know, if it if it really hits home, then maybe they do use Flashpoint as a as a means to reboot this thing and bring back some of these characters who we thought were gone. So we'll see. I mean, if it if it's critically if it does well critically, if the fans love it. I don't think they're going to get. You know, here's the thing. I don't think they're going to get a lot more subscriptions to HBO Max off this Wonder Woman eighty four brought in a lot of new eyes new eyeballs i don't see the snyder cut really driving subscriptions but i want to let pc tunny jump in on this thing we haven't heard from him yet are, are you excited about this release date are you how do you feel about all this crap going on pc of course we can't it would hear. help if your mic was yeah muted, tunny. man ladies and gentlemen pc tunny pc technical difficulties everybody Ooh. wow the live studio so, audio oh there he is i'm back i'm back my microphone is tired oh, no, we muted work. the laugh track Fuck. my microphone has had a lot of uh, work this week it's tired anyway um uh-huh. i am a big fan of superhero collaboration movies whether it's dc or uh marvel and that's actually what got me to watch the marvel movies was starting with the avengers because i like seeing all these different actors work together with each other so I enjoyed the first one. I've enjoyed all the DC movies, honestly. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not as harsh critic as the Russian judge can be. Um, but yeah, definitely looking forward to it. And especially, it's free. You guys, it's free. If you have this service already, it's free. 
also I'd like to bring up Russian judge normally not as harsh as German judge. If we're talking Mr. Kromudgen O'Dowd, he always German. They're fascism, we're socialism, totally different story, different train tracks. That's why they could not invade train tracks bigger, our trains are cool. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember German people standing in lines for bread with wheelbarrows of cash. I don't remember them winning a war either. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah, man. We're going all in on this shit. Yeah. So. You're not even Russian. How do you know? Yeah, We've never not. talked Ancestry.com. Have you seen my 23 and me? Balaz is Russian name, no? Balaz is actually, etymology-wise, Lithuanian, See? which means there is Russian in it, the influence. It means uh, Southern Russia, eh, comrade? I yes, comrade, tovarish. <laughs> So anyway, uh, yeah, without the Russian judge to drag the analysis down, because we already know what Patrick would say about this. Be like, K, whatever. <laughs> I can already predict his response. So let's. Uh, Patrick, Patrick, we love you. We give you a virtual hug right now. OK, while you're listening, we're, we're, we're just picking on you because you're not here. It's fine. If Patrick was here, he'd just go, K. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I got, I got something for that. Uh, on that note, I don't think we can top that, but that pretty much <laughs> sums up Patrick O'Dowd's feelings about the Snyder Cut. And I don't think he'd disagree with us on that point. We'll find out in the chat, I'm sure. Uh, moving onward and upward, Patrick actually did this. He sent over the, a trailer. Disney's got a new movie coming out, Raya and the Last Dragon. Saw the trailer to this. Pretty interesting stuff. It looks like the typical Disney stuff. It looks like it's going to make you laugh, cry, and sing all at the same time. What did you guys think of this trailer? I mean, I, I'm looking at it thinking, looks like a Disney movie to me. And another Disney doesn't make bad movies. Right? I mean, it, it looks like Mulan and Aladdin had a baby. And it's just the, the, the fucking dragon's marginally different. So, like, that that's just where I'm at with it. Like, I don't, I don't have kids or a girlfriend dragging me to the movie, so I probably won't watch it. That That's not an indictment on the, the product. But just Pixar, Disney kind of movies don't really drag me to the theaters or drag me to Disney Plus anymore. It's... It's interesting. I like the fact that the general portion of the cast is actually of Asian descent because Aquafina does the voice of the dragon and you, you get a lot of the, the bigger Asian actors that have been kind of making a name for themselves since Crazy Rich Asians and Mulan and all that other stuff. So it's it's nice for the inclusion aspect and it's probably going to be, oh, okay, I'm not even going to say probably, I hope it's more than just Aladdin and Mulan had a baby, but it's probably going to be entertaining. You're probably going to laugh. You're probably going to cry, just like you said. Maybe there will be a song. It doesn't look terrible. It's just not something I'm going to personally watch, even though Alan Tudyk being in this and doing the voice of that armadillo or whatever the fuck it is almost has me, because Alan Tudyk is a fucking gem, and he does, like, everything. And I, I, I really enjoy almost everything he does, so that almost has me. Tony, you're having flashbacks to our Starcade conversation with Dirty Dick, aren't you? Yeah, I can tell. There you go. So, uh, 
I do like the fact that the dragon looks like a shapeshifter, like it can actually shift into human form or something like that. Yeah, that's kind of what they showed a little bit, that she had, goes into like a female form at some point, and she is infatuated with the fact that her butt is closer to her face. Yes. And the dragon <laughs> the dragon cool. itself looks like she came off the set of NeverEnding Story, doesn't that, 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 that thing from NeverEnding Story kind of... <laughs> so it's, it's Falcor's cousin? That's what it yes, is? Yes, there you Instead go. Of a, it's a luck dragon, just the Pixar version? Right. Awesome. Exactly. There we go. So I, it's I, Aladdin, Mulan, and NeverEnding Story. I love this. That's a win. <laughs> that's a win to me. I mean, if you're going to join those three together, that's a win. So... Uh, you guys, PC Ray, did you see this trailer? You got any thoughts? I mean, it, like Disney Pixar doesn't make bad movies, so we'd already know that. But right. are you guys jazzed about this thing? Are you less than enthused? Are you are you like Patrick about Snyder Cut enthused, or, or how are you feeling about this? I um I hadn't seen the trailer yet because I've just had a, a hell of a week. Um, but I'm you know I have two daughters. I have a twelve year old and a nine year old girl. So like we don't miss any of these movies. And Disney princess movies mean something very special to me because they, in a way, empower my daughters to think or feel differently. And I think the most the most important thing for me is with these movies is they teach my daughters and children everywhere and adults everywhere often too about different cultures. And so I, I love that, right? I, I love that everyone is a different culture. Um, and if, not, if nothing else, Shout out to the fact that Kelly Marie Tran got kicked off of the world because people hated on her from Star Wars, and she's still getting that Disney money. Get that money. Yeah, there you go. That's that's a success story in and of itself, right there. So, PC, did you see the trailer? You got no. Nope, PC didn't watch it. So, are you a Disney Pixar fan? You don't you don't care. Oh, he has a pick Disney Pixar fan. Okay, so he'll be he'll be tuning. We'll all be watching. I mean, come on, it's Disney Pixar. I do love how Honey decided to respond via sign language on an audio podcast, though, for this question. That's sure. awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's how we that's how we roll here, Andrew. You know, the, the, you don't have to see what's going on on Bandwagon Nerds to know what's going on. And in case he happens to get up for a beer and the chair is just empty with a cat, we yeah. can just make up what he says, too. That's right. It's going to be fantastic. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Honey says this will be the greatest movie ever. OK, there you if go. I if you guys Hamilton, I'd be fantastic. <laughs> last to- last topic I want to get into before we take the hit the commercial break. Some rumors going around, some interesting ones. First off, rumor coming around that the Mandalorian season three is going to begin filming in April of 2021. You guys, uh, what's your confidence level on this rumor, and how excited are you for the Mandalorian season three to start filming? It's gonna happen. Uh, money. It's, they they gonna film that shit. Yeah, it's gonna work. Think it's happening in April? You think they're already returning? I mean, L. I mean, this is in L.A. L.A. is a disaster, although it's getting a little bit better. But you think any possibility they're going to start filming in April? Why not? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Why not? Yeah, they'll find a way to make it work. Yeah. From everything seen on the behind the scenes thing from the Disney, what's the extra series um, called? The Book of Boba Fett or whatever it was. No, talking about behind the scenes of the actual making of the Mandalorian. Disney. It's called Disney. You watch that? Oh, okay. Anyway, you this know. is bandwagon nerds, right? You know that, right, Andrew? It doesn't. I didn't think you had to watch every behind the scenes. Is it Jesus Disney Christ. Gallery? Is it Disney <laughs> Gallery? Yeah, I think that's it. Disney Gallery. So you can see everybody that works on this enjoys working on it. And you can't do anything else right now. So if they're getting a green light to go ahead and work somewhere and stay apart, they can actually go and do something they like. Why not? I mean, I, shit, we all want it. It's, it's Disney's money, big money grabber. I mean, 
the more they can pump out, the better. I agree. Yeah. Let's go. I, I don't really think and any of us earlier... are going to argue because I think we all enjoy the Mandalorian and everything has come off of it. You know, so April April doesn't seem too early because you know what the football team had to uh, relocate to San Francisco to finish their home games or whatever. For, or, yeah, Arizona. but I don't know. Or to Arizona yet from San Francisco, but I don't. I don't know. I, th- I think we'll be fine. California. Maybe, maybe it'll just be that much of a dumpster fire that'll figure itself out, or maybe they'll make their own pollution bubble to keep the COVID out. Because that's possible. Between all your fires and all your other weird stuff, at some point, one natural disaster has to beat the other one. I mean, th- they weren't a tag team for very long, so someone has to win. Kong right? versus Godzilla, the- but with COVID <laughs> hey, versus there pollution. There we go. Kong versus Godzilla. California years. That's so exactly does, what this is. So, so does that make earthquakes the King Ghidorah? <laughs> yeah, they're not fun. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, things are loosening up here in California a bit. You know, the governor lifted the stay-at-home order. People are back to outdoor dining. Um, so there's some reason to be optimistic. Maybe this happens. We'll see. It, I, I, I'm all for it. Get to filming, guys. I still am waiting for news on Witcher Season 2, Lock and Key Season 2. Anybody heard anything about either of those shows? They're, both seasons are happening. They're just waiting to start back up. Well, I, The Witcher should be back up and running here this next month from what I heard, right? Weren't they – they took the break for the holiday and then they took the extra four weeks because uh, dude got hurt doing a stunt or something, right? Oh, Wasn't that the news? Yeah, Henry Cavill got hurt doing some sort of. It wasn't a big injury, but he was going to be gone for like a month or something recuperating. Yeah. So I heard season two is August seventeenth. Debuting. For season two, yeah, release date. That makes that makes sense because they're supposed to finish up here before the before spring, before the end of spring. That's what I heard. Yeah, that was that was as of three days ago. This article I'm looking at was that August seventeenth is the. uh, the date they're looking at lock and key still nothing on the front for season two for lock and key which is immensely disappointing right pc don't they where do they film that don't they film that over in england i don't know i'm not sure where they film that ray you got any ideas i don't but if it is in england then like shit over there is locked down yeah we're not seeing that yeah, with the the UK variant going around. Um, the other rumor that I heard that I wanted to just kind of touch on real quick, got a propo- alleged runtime of Black Widow, two hours and 13 minutes. I don't know how they know that unless somebody's seen the damn movie. So I, I, I The movie's been ready since May of 2020 last year, bro. That's true. Oh, they're filming in Toronto. Well, that's okay. That 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 raises some uh, possibilities for Lock and Key to get going. Uh, two they hours- had to release the critic view for Black Widow, so... Yeah, they might have. They might have. But two hours and 13 minutes, that seems like right about where you would expect it. A little bit long, but not too bad. What do you guys think and about two hours and 13 minutes? I'd, 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 like, to ra- I'd like to raise that uh, in, an amendment, if I will, Mr. Lawyer. We don't have no more Black Widow news until she put, they put the shit on the network. Look, <laughs> I'm tired talking about this movie for a year. Put it on the network. Let me watch this movie. Tired of these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane. Basically. But yeah, like change snakes with movies. Yes. It's a good motion. I'll have to see what uh what uh Judge O'Dowd does with your petition for 
a moratorium on mentioning of Black Widow. Did I phrase your your motion properly, Mister Cash, Mister Reverend? You you did, and Mister O'Dowd will say, as we know, as is one to say, okay. <laughs> That's very true, but I don't know. It, Black Widow is an interesting movie for me, and that's only because, from what I saw of the trailers, it looks fun, because I, I like the addition of her family, and the sister looks entertaining, and all that other stuff, but it's still Black Widow. We already know she's been dead for, God knows, a couple years now since Endgame's been out for a while, and it's, I don't, I don't really know where we're going to go with it, aside from just to fill out a backstory, and I don't really know how enticing that will be so when it comes down to people that already have disney plus and are already invested in the marvel universe this is a nice fleshing out i suppose so you're gonna get the the diehard fans so to speak you're gonna get the aew crowd to watch this but it's not gonna bring don't, in new don't, viewers don't, i don't, don't think don't 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 you know exactly what i'm that. saying no. which is why you're smiling do and shaking your head because you don't want to be an AEW fan of marvel because you're just no. going to suck it all up. No. You're, you're going you're gonna to chug down that root beer, and you're going to love all of it. And you're never going to question why everybody else in movie talk like this. And yet Scarlett <laughs> Johansson is still like, oh, low, well, hi, wow, I'm totally a Russian assassin. This is totally me. No, no, you sure. came from this family? No, no, I'm from over there. I'm from Bakersfield. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Bakersfield Sorry. Russian. <laughs> Bakersfield Russian is very it's, close to it's new drink. It's not white Russian. It's, it's, not quite. it's Bakersfield. Are still fun on unicycle. It's Bakersfield it's Russian. Europe. It's you not vodka. Little, you, you, it's peace and Jack Daniels. Yes, that's Bakersfield you, you Russian. Hear little, you hear of little Italy, little China. In Bakersfield, they have little Russia. Yes, exactly. It's very true. They Popul- sell all the Ushanka. It's very nice. Very keep your ears Population. warm in the sixty degree weather because you know it's California. It doesn't ever get below sixty. That's right. Population Horrible. five. Horrible. <laughs> yeah. It's important because we need more major superhero billion dollar esque movies led by women. Number one. Number two. She's the only Avenger who we don't know her backstory. At number three, and this is a bit spoilery, but we are the Bedrack and Nerd Show, her sister is supposed to take up the mantle. Her sister is scheduled to be in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So you kind of need to know that. That's important. You can't just say, oh, yeah, some shit happened in the 90s, but here it is. You got to see it. And remember, so, sir, don't AEW my Black Widow. <laughs> I mean, you can, because that's exactly what they're going to say in the new Black Widow. Of, Who are you? Oh, I'm her sister. Oh, you mean just like when Excalibur decides to, you know, just extrapolate and like just fucking pontificate on nothing about Japan and DDT and this one time in Mexico? They do that in the middle of the movie. You don't even have to watch half the movies to understand the plot line. Just like AEW. <laughs> <laughs> This edition of Burial of AEW brought to you by Pot is War. <laughs> and Russia. And Russia. Russia. Yeah, we are big, big, big in Russia. Very big. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. I mean, Black Widow, we got to remember, it was supposed to be the movie that set Phase 4 off, and that got, now it's like third or fourth in line, taxiing on the runway behind WandaVision, Falcon and Winter Soldier, and who the hell knows what else is going to happen. But I'm with 27. you. 2027 at this rate. Ah, shit. Well, yeah, we'll get Hawkeye's secret family TV show or movie or whatever the fuck that's supposed to be before we see Black Widow. Hey, <laughs> what's the respect of Hawkeye name, sir? Hey, Hawkeye might or be a what? surprise. He's going to knock on my door to 
shoot an arrow at me because he has no powers. <laughs> Dude, there's like there's some. He's got to walk through the door just like me. I lock it. He's he's powerless. Oh no! <laughs> what am I gonna do? I don't have a key. He didn't keep it under the mat like he told me. <laughs> Dave, Dave, we gotta jump this dude, bro. Yeah. <laughs> he gotta he gotta catch the fade, bro. <laughs> uh, one thing that there's some belief that uh, Ant Man or Hawkeye could show up in WandaVision before all this is said and done. So the Hawkeye reference might be topical. Yeah. And not just like Ooh, not is, topical like shit out of my ass again. <laughs> no, that's all right. <laughs> I think this is as good a time as any. We're about an hour into this thing to take a break. I'm glad PC Tunney is here to lead us into all the stuff that we need to know about the chairshot.com live studio audience. Will you tell people all everything they need to know? I got your back, Jack. First of all, folks, head on over to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shot. Grab a chair shot t-shirt. We got something there for everybody. Make yourself look more aesthetically pleasing. And speaking of something for everybody, head on over to TheChairShot.com. Sports, entertainment, and sports entertainment. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then... Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey folks, PC Tony here. Thanks to our new partnership with Angry Lemonade, you can save 10% on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code CHAIRSHOT. Head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services. Use the promo code CHAIRSHOT to save 10%. That's angrylemonade.net. Are you looking for the newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on Powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only $5.99 per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv. Go to powerslam.tv, promo code chairshot. Get your free month. Again, that's powerslam.tv, promo code chairshot. Thechairshot.com. 
always use your head. And unlike Christopher Platt, I will give you a promo code that will work for 20% off with free shipping in the United States at ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shot promo code. Thank you. It's helpful when the codes actually work, Tony. I'm just saying, you know, people look for their free shipping and then they get charged double. It's like, fuck, what the hell just happened there? Anyway, welcome back. Thank you for that commercial break. Uh, make sure you follow PC Tunney's instructions to the letter to make yourself look more aesthetically pleasing in every way. God knows some of it needed, some of us need it more than others, for sure. But, yes, Tunney's an essential personnel. Did you know that, folks? Essential. Like a frontline healthcare worker. Essential personnel. I thought you were going to say like a frontal lobotomy, but I guess that's a different kind of context right there. Wow, this show is turning more into pot is war all the time. So. You've uh, got two-thirds of it. That's I know, you got two-thirds of it. Where's Platt? We could, geez, if Platt was here, it'd be off the rails even more. But if um, I was here, it would be pot is war invades bandwagon nerds. That's what Invasion angle. Where you guys are impact wrestling, we're aid. No, we're not going there. But where we are going to go is talk Wonder Woman 1984 streaming numbers, man. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw the the numbers on this thing. We knew it was watched a lot. I don't think we knew it was watched quite this much. 2.25 billion minutes, which equates to roughly 14.5 million views on HBO Max in the first two days of availability, a 35% margin over Soul, although... Soul was considerably shorter than Wonder Woman 1984, so that's going to skew things a little bit. Still, all that bullshit aside, those are big numbers, guys. Uh, whether it, it it lends some credibility to this whole theory that Warner Brothers, and of course, this is going to support an argument for Ray's motion to not mention Black Widow again until they just release the damn thing, because when you look at numbers like that, you got to think, Critical reviews of Wonder Woman 1984 notwithstanding, that's a success, fellas. Your guys' thoughts on those numbers, uh, they're pretty high, pretty impressive. Oh, yeah, they were really, really impressive. And I guess when you can't go to the theaters or whatever for the holidays when everybody's off, so you kind of want to maybe do that with friends or family or you just sit down with HBO Max. And it wasn't a bad movie. Like, the, the critical stuff is, and it, I think that's a little harsher than it should be because the movie was... It was entertaining. It was enjoyable. Pedro Pascal's, you know, Max Lord was very entertaining. Like the fact that he was over the top to the point of campy ridiculousness was it it was charming in a way. And it kind of helped my my only not only real thing, but my biggest kind of issue with it is it ended with a very I know it's not a Disney movie, but like that Disney feel good moral of the story kind of ending. And I'm like that. Yeah. I didn't really like the the warm and fuzzy ending, but like the fact that it even tied in the beginning where you were wondering why the fuck do we have a flashback for Diana? It, it made everything make sense. It was an entertaining movie. The fact maybe it was a little jagged at times from how the storytelling was t- told could lend to keeping people invested because if you jump around a little bit, it's harder to really zone out or walk away when you're just like, wait, why the hell is that here? Who the hell is that? Why is he in a different body? Why is this happening? Oh, she's changing. Why'd that happen? So asking questions as you're watching along is an entertaining factor. And even though it was not a critically fantastic movie, it was entertaining. It was good. I liked it. It's also Gal Gadot. It's really hard to hate anything she does because she's just charming within herself. So I'm, I think my biggest takeaway from everything that uh, Pedro Pascal, 
I didn't really realize it, but what is he? Chilean, I believe, is his country of origin. Oh, he's a he's Chilean, Chilean Nathan Fillion. From mannerisms to voice tone to just the way he reacts to things. And I'm a huge Nathan Fillion fan, so Pedro Pascal won me over. <laughs> Who isn't a huge Nathan Fillion fan? And Go ahead, and, uh, I was going to say Pedro Pascal won 2022. If anybody could have won 2020, Pedro Pascal won it with Wonder Woman with um, The Mandalorian, with uh, We Can Be Heroes on Netflix. Mm-hmm. There were some yep. other things he was on. Yeah, he killed it that year. Um, to answer the question real quick, I'm shocked it didn't do... I'm, those are great numbers. I'm shocked it didn't do more. I expected it to be much bigger. I expect it to be much bigger than that. because well, that was HBO, in the first two, though, remember. It, it got I, a little bad lip service, so that could have shied people away early. You know what I mean? Sure, but I still... I, because... For, for, for a myriad of reasons. Number one is Christmas in a pandemic. Everybody's at home. Number two, they already have 41 and a half million subscribers. So like True. that, right? So I, that's, that's not counting people who were interested in getting it for the purposes of that movie. And number three, it's Wonder Woman. It's one of the biggest, um, uh, one of the, one, it's one of the biggest plat, not platforms, but um, oh, movies, franchises. characters, if you will, franchises, which is what I'm looking for. Thank you. That that's available right now, and I'm I, I'm shocked it didn't do more, but I'm very pleased, and um, I think it gives some credence to their idea ideology of doing movies at home and in theater simultaneously because you can still make major money through streaming. Are those the kind of numbers that would make Disney take a look and maybe set, think twice about? You know, maybe we should release Black Widow on streaming. Look at those numbers. I mean, we talked about it last week with the whole charge people $50 for Black Widow, which Patrick said would never happen. I'm not so sure about that. I'm thinking there's some people, fools like us, who would pay that much. But that notwithstanding, do numbers like this, when you see numbers like that, does does that get back to a company like Disney? Do they sit there and say, you know, they might be onto something? Ray's saying no. It would have if what it would have if this happened in August, but they've doubled down so long at this point they kind of have to wait till theaters open. They've doubled down. They've doubled down so long they've had to completely re reorder their face. So like at this point now you kind of got you got to see it you got to see it through. Mm-hmm. That's that's yeah. a fair assessment. That's true. They're too far gone now. We know this is going to crash and burn, but we are going down with this plane <laughs> no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean those are those are great numbers. It's it's encouraging. I mean it's got to give the people uh, over at uh you know where's where uh, Kong versus Godzilla, you know that's coming out. That's got to give a lot of people a lot of hope that hey we're gonna do pretty well with this thing. This is gonna be another big success. I don't know about numbers like that. That's pretty big time numbers, but we'll see. But that's that's good news for Wonder Woman eighty four. Critical opinions notwithstanding. Last thing I want to talk about before we get into the comic spotlight. Big news for the bandwagon nerds. When the show first started, as you guys, all 22 of you loyal listeners out there, you guys know this very well, that we've done a lot of projects on bandwagon nerds in the first year of the show's existence, including the video game project, which was fantastic. The villains project, which was kind of raise baptism by fire into the bandwagon nerds doing the villains project. But the one that started the whole thing was the 80s project. This is the first one that Patrick did. This is where we went through PC Tunney was involved. DPP was involved. We did uh, ranked various genres of movies from the 80s, and we gave our top 10 lists. And 
I've been kind of tongue in cheeking it with Patrick for a while now saying, hey, when's the 90s project coming? When's the 90s project coming? And he's kind of just, you know, we got to wait. We got to wait. We got to wait for the right time. It's like Braveheart, you know, hold, 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 and then bring the spikes up the last moment. Well, we're bringing the spikes up. Next week, the 90s project is here. It begins next week with, uh, what is it, sci-fi? Is that what we're doing next week, guys? Yes, sci-fi and fantasy. Sci-fi and fantasy. There you go. So that's going to be fun. The 90s, we're going to the 90s. The 80s were great. The 90s, just as good. I'm excited. How do you guys feel about this 90s project? Finally here, guys. Our fearless leader has given us the green light to go forward with this thing. I'm excited. My nipples are excited, Tony, as you would say. So how do you feel about this? Just cutting glass over here, Dave. Cutting glass. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little... it's 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 great because of the different age groups that we have here. You know, Dave's the senior uh, statesman. Patrick is a little bit younger than him. I'm a little bit younger than Patrick. Ray and Andrew are a little bit younger than me. I believe Andrew's even younger than uh, Ray's even younger than Andrew. So these decades, as we move forward, mean something different to each person, and that's awesome. Because for me, the '80s, I was still a child. I was born in the very very early '80s, right? So the nineties, now I'm a teenager and now I'm, I'm like, by the end of the nineties, I'm graduating high school and drinking. Right. So it's like, it's really going to be interesting to see how people pick different things according to how old they were in these decades. But needless to say, I think Patrick already brought it up when we were discussing the nineties project, it's only going to get harder. I think than the eighties, uh, it's going to be harder to dwindle down to 10, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the project. It's a great listen and it's just a, it's just a good time to be on the show for those. Let's go Fern Gully. <laughs> there you go. Fern Gully is a great movie. I mean, don't I, I love it. Yeah. If that doesn't make one of your top 10 somewhere, I'm going to be a little mad. Honestly, I, I gave the game away, Andrew. I'm just letting you know. There you go. I'm, but I'm excited. Yes. And I feel I, I got me with you. I feel a little pressure because I know how big it was for the eighties for you guys to do it. And I did sneak in on the villain project. But like, this is the first one since I've been affiliated or a part of the show, whatever you guys consider me, um, I feel a little pressure. So I'm excited. I consider you a brother in arms, man. I'm just saying, comrade, comrade, we we're simpatico. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Mixing so many different languages and uh, little names. It's nice. Thank you. That's really good. Get get AJ on here. Get get AJ on here. We'll get the Scottish shit going too. So Oh, do we need to go into the Drew McIntyre, do we? Oh, we don't need AJ. I didn't AJ. think we were going to be doing that. We I thought need... I was going to stick with the Russian because we were talking about Russian and German judges. Yeah, there's not too many Scottish judges. They don't know what the hell they're watching anyway. They're drunk. It's fine. Don't worry. They did invent golf. so <laughs> That explains a lot, doesn't it? It's an easy game to drink to. That's the problem with every <laughs> Scottish judge. Every time he just gives them a four. Yeah. <laughs> And you do this, oh, that you do this one time. Fuck no. 18 <laughs> fucking times. <laughs> Go check out Robin Williams Golf Stand Up. Well, guys, <laughs> we are to the part of the show that I like to do on these shows where Patrick can't be with us because it gets to expand into a couple of areas that I like to talk about a lot. And this is our comic spotlight segment. We haven't done this in a little while. Uh, the characters, this, and for those of you who haven't been with us before we've done this, we take a couple of characters. One generally from the DC side of things, one from the Marvel side of things. And we kind of do a little bit of a deep dive, which I know is kind of oxymoronic to say a little bit of a deep dive. That's like uh, being a little bit pregnant, sort of, kind of along those lines. But, you know, we're going to do... Go ahead, Tony. Yes? 
just the tip, baby. Yes, we're just doing. I mean, the technically, t- Wanda was just a little bit pregnant during that whole show. Like That's it, right. It took what fifteen minutes to right. birth a baby, so that that could be the equivalent thereof. I know a lot of women. It'd be like, I'll take this fifteen minutes of fucking maternity. That works for me. But anyway, uh, on this project, we take a DC character, we take a Marvel character, we do kind of a deep dive. Look at their character arcs, some of the best stories, and then at the end, I give you my recommendations, like my top five or so uh, story arcs for newbies. And it is kind of newbie friendly for the bandwagoners out there. I don't want to just you know plow them into the ground with the most difficult shit of all time. But this week on the Comic Spotlight, we're talking about on the DC side of things, Green Lantern, on the Marvel side of things, Spider-Man. Do you guys have a preference as to which one of these iconic characters we tackle first? Uh, I'd say, if you don't mind, I'd say we do Lantern first because I feel we're going to spend a lot of time on Spider-Man. Let's do Lantern first. I, I like the call, Ray. There is, I want to say this, there is kind of a reason I group these two characters together. They don't seem very similar. Their power set is radically different from each other, sort of. I mean, they they are, the origin is different. However, they are kind of doing the same thing. Green Lantern using the ring and willpower to make uh, hard light constructs of just about anything imaginable. Spider-Man using his webs to do a lot of things that you wouldn't think are possible. But there is a similarity between these two characters. And and I look at Spider-Man, and we're going to get right back to Green Lantern, but Spider-Man went through in the movies anyway, where Tobey Maguire, that series, you know, it's Spider-Man 1, very well received. Spider-Man 2, possibly the best Spider-Man movie of all time. Spider-Man 3, things went off the rails. They got too many people involved. The movie wasn't very well received. Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man come along. Both of them pretty mediocre movies, even trying to bring in what we're going to talk about, one of the most iconic Spider-Man stories of all time. Spider-Man at that point seemed to be in need of redemption. And then Tom Holland comes along with Civil War and then Homecoming and Far From Home and seemed to really bring Spider-Man back to the forefront. So the question I have for you, Ray, Andrew, and Tony is this. Is there a superhero out there in the movie universe on any universe you want to talk about that needs to be redeemed more than Green Lantern does. Mm. Daredevil from a no. movie. Well, be what the, no, what the TV show was really way re- better than Green Lantern. Yeah, and the, the TV show really way, redeemed Daredevil a lot. But that that's the thing. Uh, maybe maybe it's the, maybe the, we need to take the medium out of it and think of the character because Charlie Cox is Daredevil. Yeah. Maybe Fantastic Four needs a little bit of yeah, redemption on the okay. same Green Lantern side. That's very true. That's, that's that's really the only other one that I could think was done really, really poorly. Or do we like to go like really deep into like what the the Alec Baldwin nineties The Shadow? Could we talk about the Shadow knowing things? No. Can we talk about let, that? Let's not. Let's not. Uh, no. Who, no. Who knows what evil lurks in the heart of men? The Only the shadow knows. <laughs> Jesus. That's too deep of a dive for me. But uh, <laughs> um Yeah, I mean the Green Lantern movie. Your Ryan Reynolds was was fine as Hal Jordan, was fine as Green Lantern. I don't put that on him. It's just a shitty plot and bringing in Parallax as to me and Andrew. You know, now that you mentioned fan, uh, Fantastic Four, there is a big similarity between the failure of the Fantastic Four movie and the failure of the Green Lantern movie. For instance, Galactus in the mo- in the comics, badass, giant, immensely powerful. In the movies, a fucking cloud. Okay. Mm-hmm. Green Lantern, Parallax, possesses Hal Jordan, makes him kill every fucking Green Lantern out there and wipe out the Guardians. In the movie, some piece of shit character who's trying to corrupt some 
fucked up scientist with all sorts of personal issues, and it just is a disaster, a walking train wreck. I, 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 I'm hopeful that someday they do a movie that does Green Lantern justice because, guys, now we're getting into the Green Lantern. If you're talking about superheroes in the DC universe as far as the most powerful ones that there are, I think Green Lantern's what, top three? Well, it's not fair to say in terms of just power because every Green Lantern depends on their willpower. So some have better willpower than others. True. The ring is the ring is a top three power source. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and the and the Green Lantern Corps. You can't talk Green Lantern without talking the Green Lantern Corps and everybody involved in all the different. Uh, aliens and everybody doing something differently and all the various sectors. I mean, the Guardians decided, let's separate space as we know it into 3,284 sectors and you guys do this and you guys are over here doing that and they're all working together. And the evolution of the Green Lantern Corps is fascinating, separate and apart from Hal Jordan. But, you know, your guys' thoughts, let me get into this thing because, I mean, I've got, you know, Green Lantern's one of my favorites, always been one of my favorites complex character and it gets we're going to talk some stories in a minute that are very complex as far as green lantern is concerned but what are your guys thoughts on green lantern as a superhero as a character uh anything that about him that resonates with you are we well okay again i hate to be this guy but are we speaking of green lantern as a character or speaking of hal jordan well i think they're kind of intertwined don't you i mean no how's how's go ahead ray well i was just gonna say so all of the major lanterns we know in this sector, starting with Alan Scott, Hal Jordan, John Stewart, Kyle Rayner, Guy Gardner, even to the newer one, Simon Baz, and my favorite, Jessica Cruz, they all have massively different personalities. That isn't just shown in the way they dress or the way their constructs are made, but in the way they interact every fight. Like, Jessica Cruz has crippling anxiety on a day-to-day basis, so the fact that she's able to get out of bed is the same amount of willpower that Hal Jordan has when he's fighting Parallax. Like, that's a crazy thing to think about. Um, so, as a character, I think it's really cool to think of think of a an intergalactic space cop, space police force, right? That's really cool, and the Guardians are kind of like, Owa and the Guardians is kind of like when you go to uh, to the police station and everything is there, right? I think that's a really cool way to think about it and all the different captains or whatnot, Sinestro and all the other people. I think that's really, I think it's really cool to think about. But I think when you're thinking of Green Lanterns, I think that's the one character that you can't think of as, you have to think of them individually. That's why whenever people mention Green Lanterns, normally they, they don't mention Green Lantern, they mention the person's name because they're so drastically different. And all of them have had have to have had their own stories that have mattered. You know, um, people who grew up like I did in the in the nineties and two thousands with Justice League the cartoon don't know how joy they know John Stewart. You know, people who have read most of the comics know how Jordan. People who are from the golden age care about Alan Scott. So I just think it. You know what I mean? It's so it's it's. I think it's different in in that regard. I, I don't mean to be difficult. No, you raise a great point. I mean, the character of Green Lantern is is multifaceted. There's multiple persons involved. Hal Jordan is the one most recognizable and generally regarded as the greatest Green Lantern of all time up to a point. You know, also the most deadly Green Lantern of all time up to a point, as we're going to talk about. But you raise some great stuff. Kyle Rayner, you know, 
different char- character john stewart different character guy gardner different character jessica cruz her power ring came from the crime syndicate so she's mm-hmm. constantly battling her ring to stay in control of not only herself but her ring as well and her ring's actively working against her and her and simon have a very difficult relationship that simon baz carries a gun yeah exactly like a legitimate gun not not a not a, a, a hard like construct gun but a legitimate pistol yeah exactly so the green lanterns are complex hal's got his own like you're saying ray hal jordan is generally regarded when people think green lantern they think hal jordan most of them do but like you're saying there's been many many incarnations of green lanterns um and the 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 i mean here's my thing with green lantern in the early days of green lantern in the golden age the fact that his ring was powerless against anything yellow made no sense to me. Alan Scott's ring, powerless against wood, that never made any sense to me. It's like you've got this supremely powerful weapon, and this is what your weakness is? Yeah. I never quite got that. But anyway, I, I mean, Andrew, your thoughts on Green Lantern, I mean, all of them as a, as a collective character or Hal Jordan or any any particular Green Lantern that resonates with you more than the others? I can't really go into it as deep as you guys, because much like exactly the point you brought up, when I was growing up and starting to get into comics, the thought of Green Lantern always boiled down to, wait, you're saying Big Bird could kick his ass because Big Bird's yellow? Like, what the what the fuck? Like, how are you a superhero and you're weak to a color? Like, that is the dumbest fucking thing I ever heard. So, honestly... I hated Green Lantern because I thought the power was stupid. I understand the willpower concept, and I understand all that other thing. And I've come around a little bit on the Green Lantern stuff because my best friend was a big Green Lantern fan. He was a big fan of Guy Gardner. So, and that that's kind of where I go with a lot of some of it because you know Guy Gardner was snarky. He wasn't the the stand up typical kind of superhero. He had his own little edgy personality that worked really well. And when I look at it just as Guy Gardner, Guy Gardner's entertaining. He's an interesting character. He made Green Lantern not as cornball because, you know, Mm -hmm. yellow. Kind of like Jason Momoa makes Aquaman cool and he's not just a dude riding on a fucking seahorse who can talk to fish and, like, make a title spout or something like that. Like, it's just – so it's it's just people that can transcend the the shitty kind of stereotype or the shitty gimmick – is kind of what helped turn me a little bit. Still not the biggest Green Lantern fan, but at least that started to, he's grown on me a little more. And they watered down that whole yellow thing over the years because even they realized this is dumb. You know, you've got this (laughs) ultimate weapon and really this is is what we're going to do. I mean, kryptonite's one thing. Okay, radioactive meteorite. But the color yellow, your your weakness is a spectrum. But the yellow signifies fear and the the antithesis of willpower. And... It, it, when they started to morph it into like Sinestro becoming the Yellow Ew. Lantern and, and using, it wasn't the color, it was what the color represented that switched mm-hmm. everything around. So now it's not the fact that, oh, you're fucking Big Bird and you're yellow and I can't destroy you. It's because fear is the power battery for the Yellow Lanterns, which is the opposite of willpower. And so as Green Lantern evolved, that whole aspect of things evolved with it, that it's not a color anymore. It's, it's an emotion. It's a feeling. It's a mindset. 
And that's when I thought Green Lantern got really good, when they started to drift away from the Golden Age bullshit about, well, it's just yellow. I can't do anything because it's fucking yellow, as opposed to what yellow really represented. And Ray's nodding yes. his head. I, yes, 100%. Um, I, you were saying, you were you were alluding to the fact that uh, they moved away from yellow, but they didn't because the Sinestro Corps chose yellow for that very purpose. Um, and I, so when you think of Green Lantern, you have to think of why is there even a green power ring to begin with? Like, why green? Why is this power ring? And then it brings you back to the emotional spectrum. And the emotional spectrum being used by all, all seven of the colors of the rainbow, and now, of course, white and black, which we're going to talk about story, Green Lantern stories, black as night. We'll get there. Um, and But all of them have a, a different thing, you know, and like the Red Lanterns. And uh, isn't Star Sapphire technically a purple or indigo lantern? She's something weird. I, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I forget what she is exactly. Other than Carol so, Yeah, there you go. Um, but so, so I think it's, it makes it that much deeper. And when you have these cosmic ass stories with all these dip, you can do anything if you say in space, literally. So like it, it, it makes sense. And, um, you know, we're going to talk about Sinestro a bit, but without the advent of, of the, the, the growing of the emotional spaceship, we don't get maybe what, you, uh, maybe what's the, the best villain in the Green Lantern lore besides Parallax and besides Nestro, uh, Atrocitus. You know, like there's so there's so many extra things that come based on that growing of the character. An excellent explanation, Ray, as always, from the Reverend Ray Cash right there. You mentioned stories. Let's get into stories because that'll probably lead into some interesting conversations. So here are my, I got one honorable mention, my top five uh, Green Lantern stories, kind of for newbies. My honorable mention is Green Lantern Rebirth. This is when they reset everything in like 2004, 2005. I think, uh, I think Jeff Johns did this one. Um, and, and they kind of brought Hal back to life. He had been wiped out after other stories that we're going to talk about. They reset everything. They brought Hal back to life at a time when, and it was just in the nick of time because this is when Sinestro starts to uh, really assert himself. That's my honorable mention story. Um, my number five on the list is Emerald Twilight, New Dawn. And this is one of the more iconic stories that you get with Greenland. This is where Hal Jordan loses his mind. You almost have to read Death of Superman and especially the Reign of the Superman story and Return of Superman. Because when when uh, Hank Crenshaw and Mongol, when they destroy Coast City, this is where Hal Jordan kind of falls apart and he loses it and he becomes unhinged and this thing ends with him basically wiping out a bunch of Green Lanterns, wiping out the power battery on Oa, wiping out the Guardians, and becoming the very thing that he despised the most, which is Parallax. He's possessed by Parallax. This is an immensely powerful story to see the, the fall of one of your most beloved characters with Hal Jordan. Ray, I don't know if you've read this one or not. It, it, it's difficult to get through because watching him slide down into where he ends up, it's pretty disturbing. Um, unfortunately, um, when we get, when I, when, when we get to the stories that I want to bring up and you're, I'm sure you're going to bring them up. I've in terms of total totality, I've only read probably two green lantern stories. I've read a lot of green lantern comics. I've seen a lot of green lantern stories in kind of passing, but, 
um, only two that I've actually read, but the Hal Jordan story I do know, and I think it's interesting to think about. You think about a hero and you think about their villain, and most heroes and villains naturally um, are inverses of one another. We've spoken ad nauseum about the difference between the willpower and fear and being total opposites. The only way to take down a Green Lantern is to do the very thing that takes away their will, and that's fear. But when you embrace the fear, as we've seen, as Sinestro has done, you do become, as you said, the Entity Parallax. And it is a sad thing because how Jordan is, for all of his bravado and brashness, he's not Guy Gardner. He's not a dick like Guy Gardner, but like he's brash and, and show-offy. And, Arrogant. Uh, Arrogant is a perfect word for it, yes. He still is as pure as he gets. And uh, to see him kind of divulge into being, like you said, what he hates. It's a really sad thing, but I think it's a really interesting story to read because those are those are the best stories, I think, to read because you get to see a descent to madness or a descent to evil or a descent to something. Um, kind of tearing down a character's constructs. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you summed that up real well. Number four on my list, I know, Ray, you mentioned it. It's one of the more iconic Green Lantern stories. It's Blackest Night. Uh, oh boy! I uh, you know I and I know you're probably thinking, wow, that's kind of low for you, Dave. Um, no, 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 not at all. Yeah, but that's, that's probably about right. Blackest Night, and and I, I say this because I do keep this in mind that this is kind of like to try and get new people involved in reading comics. Blackest Night's not the easiest story to get through, and it's very mm-hmm. complex. There's lots of moving parts, and it's very emotional for everybody involved because you're talking about the Black Lanterns resurrecting just about everybody from the DC universe who had died previously and they're all coming back as like zombie lanterns and this kind of stuff. Um, it's, it's, it's one of these stories that man, it just, it is immensely powerful. Um, and it's, it's difficult to get through. I'm going to turn it over to you, Ray. I know you've read this one and it's, it's all encompassing. It's something to behold, uh, your thoughts on blackest night. It's one of the most iconic green lantern stories out there. One of the most iconic DC stories out there to be honest i just i think and forgive me for using the term the word cool but i think it's really cool i think when speaking about this grouping of heroes or or powered people metahumans as they say in the in dc with all the different emotional spectrums for there to be one group of course there's always going to be evil ones but there to be one group that don't care about good don't care about evil just wants death and, and is obsessed with death and wants, wants death to kind of reign among the universe and, you know, uh, word to Thanos. But, um, yeah, everybody dies to kind of still Lance Archer's saying, but lit- like everybody dies. And, you know, it's much like they like us to believe the real cops are. I think it's really cool to see the Lanterns have to always find a way to use their good will to fight these things. And it's one, it's one thing when you're fighting evil. Another thing when like they, like they resurrected your, your wife that died or they resurrected your dad that died or they resurrected the former lanterns that probably trained you that died or resurrected these, uh, these former heroes that were amazing that died. And you got to fight those. Like, how do you fight dead people? You know what I mean? So I, I think it's a really story. Yes, it's a bit of a slog to get through. It's a really cool story to to dive in, and I think the 
with our with with our society's obsession with zombies and with death, I think it's probably a good place for people to jump in first. Um, but this is again one of those stories that continues to show you that Hal Jordan in many in many ways is the man. Yeah, it's um you raise a good point. When you're going up against people who while they were alive were immensely important to you, and now you've got to face them as resurrected zombies, you know, as as you know, these kind of evil facsimiles of themselves. Uh, it's very difficult, but it's a great story. It's fantastic, and a lot of the tie-ins are even as good as the original story. Um, number three on the list is the Green Lantern Green Arrow collection. These are really great stories because during like the late seventies and stuff like that, both characters were struggling. Green Arrow, Green Lantern were struggling, so they grouped them together. And it was almost like, you you know, we said we weren't going to talk politics, but one of the characters was almost like the Republican point of view and the other one was a Democratic point of view. And they just kind of... know who was the Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> if you know the cover, you, know you know who the Democrat was. And, and they went around the country getting in all these sort of adventures and Green Lantern was kind of depowered a little bit. Out of this collection, though, comes one of the most powerful stories of all time. And it's more on the Green Arrow side of the fence, but Green Lantern was heavily involved. It's when Green Arrow's sidekick, Speedy or Roy Harper or whatever it was, gets addicted to heroin. And this was a place where they didn't show this kind of stuff in the comics back then. But that whole story of Green Lantern and Green Arrow trying to rescue Speedy from heroin addiction, one of the most iconic stories out there. This is a fantastic collection of stories between two really beloved characters right now at a time when they weren't so great. They were struggling a little bit. Um and real quick, that leads to one of the coolest DC heroes maybe ever, Arsenal. Yes, exactly. Very good. That That's exactly right, Ray. Uh, number two on the list is uh, Green Lantern. Sec- well, what is Tony doing here? Okay. Green Lantern Secret Origin, which uh, tells a different origin story for Hal Jordan, where they kind of, like you said earlier, Ray, he's kind of uh, arrogant, kind of an asshole, can be a dick at times. Secret Origin kind of gave more of Hal's backstory, stuff with his dad, stuff with his parents, siblings, that sort of thing. Uh, I really enjoy this because it humanized Hal Jordan, and he needed to be humanized at this point in his life, uh, at, mm. at point in the run of the character. So that's why I've got Secret Origin at number two. Um, number one, Ray already knows what this is. It can only be one. It's got to be the Sinestro Core War. I, I mean, that, that's got to be the number that, one. It It is, it is the most important story i think in the history of the character and and it is one of the most important stories in the history of comics as well because sinestro comes and he basically gets every superpowered bad guy possible including parallax including the anti-monitor for christ's sake they're all involved in this thing trying to take down the green lanterns and the green lanterns have all the green lantern corps and just about every dc superhero in this massive showdown with Sinestro over the fate of the universe that, yeah, the good guys win in the end, but you're not really sure it's going to go that way for a long, long time. in this story, it's absolutely fantastic. It's so well written. It's so well presented. There is a, a real sense of, uh, Hey, something's really on the line in this thing. It's by far and away. I mean, I, I don't know any other green lantern story that comes. I mean, blackest night is really good as well. Sinestro yeah. core war is the one that stands out to me as the greatest green lantern story of all time. Completely with you, man. Um, and two two DC characters that I think deserve a deep dive, like a character study of, are both 
villains that can be looked at as antiheroes, and that's Black Adam, that's Sinestro. They are so complex because in many ways, well, Sinestro just delved into madness eventually, but in many ways they think they're doing the right thing for the right people. But like when you in when the right thing for the right people involves genocide. And, 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 you know, Sinestro's always had a, a hard on for destroying Oa and the Guardians because I don't know if he felt that he should have been a Guardian or he felt like he was the best of the best and how replaced him, which is a big part of their issue. Or, but as the myriad of issues he has with them, but like, he is like a scorned ex. Like, he is just full on trying to destroy everything that the Guardians and that the Lanterns, the Lantern Corps has created, and you said it perfectly, man. It's truly a war. Everybody damn near in this world is involved in this in this story, and Sinestro, Parallax, and the Anti-Monitor alone is enough for the Justice League or enough for the Corps. All three of them involved with all, every other, it's 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 a crazy story to read. Uh, I, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I got it. I mean, that's 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 gonna do a, do a wrap on the Green Lantern side of things. But yeah, well, by all means, get, I got a question. For, oh, wait, you got some too, Ray? Well, no, just no. Sinestro Core and Black and Blackest Night are the, the two that I've read for sure. Who's your favorite Lantern and why? Is it Hal? For me, it's Hal because I grew up with Hal. It's it's Hal, and I I have a very strong affinity for Kyle Rayner because Kyle, I, I sympathize with him. The artistry, huh? The artistry, but just the fact that he's never really comfortable in his his skin as a successor to how, you know, he kind of always struggles with that. And and you get to see him evolve and get more confident in his abilities as he goes. It's similar to Wally West and Barry Allen. You know, Wally's never really comfortable being the Flash either. So I see a lot of similar similarities between Wally and Kyle, which is probably why they're so tight in the comics later on. Why those two kind of bond together, because they are. You know, you're succeeding two of the most iconic characters in the entire DC universe. And yeah. so I've always liked Kyle. I love John Stewart. Guy Gardner, I, I'd never gotten a guy, sorry, Andrew, because he was basically an asshole to Superman. So I'm like, fuck this guy. You know, that that sort of thing. And my Superman bias coming through again. Uh Simon Perfect and Jessica for how I started the show off then, huh? Yeah, exactly. Thanks, Andrew. <laughs> um, Simon and Jessica are complex. I like them as well. But uh, I, I love the Green Lantern Corps. You know, the Corps itself has yeah. got some cool characters. But I think for Yellow me, it's... Log and all those other people, yeah. I think for me, it's Hal, just because I grew up with him. I mean, he's the one, he's the first one I knew. How about you? Which one is your favorite? So, um, the one I'm most familiar with, clearly, is Jon Stewart, based, just based on where I grew up. Um, in terms of things I've read the most, I think Jessica Cruz got the coolest story. But, man, Guy Gardner is such a dick. <laughs> and it's so interesting, and it, it, the comics were were, were interesting selves. You know, we're, we we all we all come from the world of wrestling, interesting selves. And Guy Gardner is interesting. And I think the most interesting thing about him is that even though he's willingly and openly a dick, and a, and 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 a, and a, I'm not gonna call him a horrible person, but he's he is not he's he is. He's not one of the unwashed masses, masses, but he is definitely not getting a lot of Christmas cards from people. He's an edgelord before it was a word. There you go. <laughs> but something about him is deserving of that ring. Something of him about him is deserving of being a lantern. Something about him continues to make Superman and Batman and, and Martian Man. If you could piss off Martian Manhunter, you're a piece of shit. 
Like there you go. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's right. <laughs> it's just saying. But every time something else happens, who they call? It's, it's and I it think ain't Ghostbusters. A, no. <laughs> and I think that's a really cool thing. So I think Guy Gardner, maybe my favorite. I am learning more about Kyle Rayner. I think of all the constructs, Kyle has the coolest because of the artistry behind him being an actual a- artist. Absolutely. I think he has the coolest constructs. But uh yeah, I, I, I have a Soft spot of my heart for Guy Gardner. Fair enough, man. Fair enough. Well, let, let's flip over to the Marvel side in the uh, the second part of this comic spotlight and talk a little Spider-Man, guys, because everybody knows Spider-Man, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Spider-Man's one of the OGs, you know? He was one of the first Marvel characters to come out. He's been around forever. Everybody knows the story about Peter Parker getting bit by the radioactive spider, uh, not intervening when he could have or possibly should have. His Uncle Ben suffers the ultimate price for that. And off to the races you go. Uh, there's been multiple Spider-Men. The Spider-Verse introduced a whole new universe of Spider-People, led mostly synonymous with Miles Morales. Um, the movies, I mean, we've seen now three different guys play Spider-Man in the movies. You've seen Tobey Maguire, seen Andrew Garfield, you've seen Tom Holland, all of them portraying him very differently. Uh, some better than others. You know, I think the original trilogy was very good, except for maybe the last one wasn't so good. The other two movies, eh, you know, uh, the new iteration with Tom Holland, fantastic. Your guys' thoughts on on Spider-Man. I mean, there's, he's really well-known. I don't think you really, we need to extrapolate too much as to Spider-Man. Everybody knows who Spider-Man is, but, you know, your guys' thoughts on the character, his evolution over the years and things like that. The animated series is still better than any of the movies so far, to be to be that's, completely fair. That's probably true. And that that's kind of part of where my bias lands, being an, a 90s baby, is animated Spider-Man was a very good balance of what you saw in the comics, where Peter was a nerd, but Spidey was snarky. He was he was quick. He was clever. He, he could do things that, you know, Peter wouldn't think of doing. Tobey Maguire was close. Tobey Maguire definitely had the Peter down very well and his his Spidey lacked at different points because it still came off a little corny than it did snarky. But that's also kind of Sam Raimi's direction because we've all seen Evil Dead so we kind of know that he goes for a little more campy and goofy than he does necessarily straight snark because you know, Bruce Campbell. <laughs> but um, yeah, Andrew Garfield missed the mark on everything, which is why I don't like any of his stuff. I, you know, so I'm just gonna breeze past them. And Todd Holland or Tom Holland, sorry, is a uh, a very good Spidey, very good Spidey. His Peter lacks a little bit. His Peter, his his Peter comes off a little more wide eyed and naive than nerdy, intelligent, smart kid who just goes, you know got involved in this because you know he he knew he idolized doc ock and he did all this other stuff and that's why he's good in school and then he gets to be somebody totally different when he puts the mask on so tom tom spidey's good and toby toby's peter is really good so if we could fuse those together they'd probably get really close to where i personally hold the animated version but i'm not gonna like dog on tom holland too much like he's he's pretty good for what they do in the movies my issue with the second movie is just the fact that they made it too obvious what the twist was from the beginning. Because if you've ever seen anything Spider-Man and you see Mysterio and you're like, oh, no, he's 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 bad guy. 
<laughs> he, he's one of the big bads. Like we know this is bullshit. So it was it was one of the first movies that I think Marvel did where they were expecting the audience to know nothing or to completely suspend disbelief for the the fact of the movie. And I hate that because you're not going to get comic book fans to watch a comic book movie and forget everything they know. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I think Tom Holland's Peter to me seems more like Peter Parker from the Ultimate Universe than like the or six one six universe. Kind of wide eyed, like okay. you said, Andrew, mm-hmm. where he's you know idolizing all the other big superheroes like Tony, like Thor, like Captain Carol Danvers, and that sort of thing. Well, to your point, to your point, there's no Harry Osborn, but there's Ned Leeds. Ned Leeds is from the Ultimate from the Ultimate Universe. So you're right. I think just about all. Yeah. Ray, your thoughts on uh, on Spidey as a character? Probably the greatest character in the history of Marvel Comics. Wow, that's a pretty bold statement when you consider who else is out there. What about Spidey leads you to say that? Um, he, well, he, I think he's the most important in terms of sales. He's their highest selling, highest grossing um, character. Any way you look at it, through movies, through TVs, through TV shows, through merchandise to comic sales all of that um i think that that's the one character in marvel that if you take away groups and just think of individual characters that's the one character everybody thinks of when you first think of marvel maybe wolverine has a conversation has a place in this conversation but normally a spider-man i think in terms of importance i think um that was stanley's baby that was probably the most important one to him and because of the importance to Stan Lee, very clearly there's a level of importance that Stan Lee put on that character to the company. Um, and, you know, when we compare Marvel versus DC, DC has always been a bigger company comic-wise because they have bigger heroes. Well, Spidey was the one hero that DC couldn't say, we, well, we don't have that. Like, there is something for everybody. And you say, oh, Marvel can say we have Wolverine. Well, they can say we got Lobo. Not much difference other than they're different in terms of the, the structure of the character, but in terms of who they are and what they do, they're, they're very similar. There's so many different, there's so many similarities in both sides, but there is no Spider-Man anywhere else in the world. That's very true. I, I mean, when you look at what Spider-Man meant to Marvel, what he still means to Marvel, and Peter especially, Peter is one of these characters that just about anybody can relate to. It's like we've all yeah. had that teen angst. We've all had that uncertainty. We've all had that that I'm confused about who I'm supposed to be, what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, where am I supposed to be going? Uh, Peter really resonates, whether it's 616 Peter or Ultimate Universe Peter, that sort of thing. Spider-Man's a, one of those characters that, yeah, we all grew up with him. I mean, I grew up the first Spider-Man comics that they had. Or he used to be like, they, had the show, they showed this show on TV, The Electric Company. They had a Spider-Man fucking part of that whole thing. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we've all grown up with Spider-Man. He's, uh, I mean, a tremendous character. The movies, I mean, and, and you look at how important he was to the MCU to get him into the MCU because he has been an Avenger for much of his career. And when you look at what Sony was doing with the Andrew Garfield movies and fumbling around with all that shit, and then MCU gets a hold of him and look what they did. You know, Civil War, he was massive in Civil War. And Homecoming was fantastic. And, and, and Far From Home was good, and you've seen the origin of the Sinister Six and all that sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, he's he's a... It's like I said, I, you don't need to go into too many details about Spider-Man because everybody knows him. 
and everybody knows what he's about. The newer characters, like Miles Morales, now he's a, he's a different sort of character. We saw him in Into the Spider-Verse, kind of got an introduction to him there, if you're not a big comics reader. But he was a, a big, I mean, one of the stories I want to talk about when we get to Spider-Man, Miles Morales came out of that tragedy. So, you know, what do you guys think of the Spider-Verse and, and all adding in all those different various elements and various Spider-Men? Um, full transparency. I haven't seen that movie. Well, thank wow. you for being transparent, Andrew. That's great. I'm, I'm just saying, like again, it's that whole animated thing. Like I haven't seen mo- most of like the Lego movies either because I'm like I don't want to watch this. Like I have no personal draw to usually watch something 3D animated Pixar or whatever if I don't have a reason. Be it you know children, nephews, nieces, girlfriends, something like that. So I'll I'll give you a hot take. I, I think no superhero movie can be compared in the same spectrum as Infinity War and Endgame. I just think it's, I don't think it's fair. Mm-hmm. If you take away those two movies, I think Into the Spider-Verse is the greatest Marvel movie they've ever made. That's a lofty recommendation. And, I don't, think, again, and I don't think it's close. Again, not, like not arguing with you. Just I don't think I, There hasn't been a lot no, to I'm just, yeah, 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 stick yeah. me there. You know who's going to agree with you no. largely, Ray? Is Mr. O'Dowd? He, I know he thinks we both think very highly of that movie. I mean, I would say, yeah. for me personally, when I look at superhero movies, it's it's to me it's Dark Knight and Infinity War slash Endgame, and it's almost interchangeable at that point. But sure. as far as animated movies, and it was important because Marvel doesn't make good animated movies like DC does. No, that's an no. exception. That is the major major exception. That Into the Spider Verse was simply phenomenal. So good they're going to have a sequel. So speaking of the actual Spider-Men, um, there's a whole bunch of other ones, but I think the three, the well, I'm, I'm going to include Silk because she's important in certain stories. But the three that, that matter the most are clearly Peter, any version of actual Peter Spider-Man, uh, Miles Morales, and uh, Gwen, Gwen Stacy or Spider-Gwen, right? Um, they are, in all three of their universes or in all three of their worlds, I think their stories have become Miles. I think we can say some of his stories have become iconic, and I don't think it's too early to say that. Gwen's, if you're really into it, or you've seen some of the stuff she's done in some of the um, TV shows or movies she's been on. Um, again, I have kids, so I watch a lot of that stuff. Uh, pretty good, but like I think Miles has gotten to the point where he's iconic, even to the point where if you if you if you're a newer reader of comics within the past ten years. And just like Spider-Man was, was, just like Peter, Spider-Man was a major part of the first Civil War. Miles Morales was the major part of the second Civil War between Carol Danvers and, and Tony Stark. And now Miles Morales is in a major, major storyline with the champions um, and what's going on with them. So I, I, I appreciate that um, kind of very similar to the Green Lanterns, but different in a way because they are different. They're not all carrying the same mantle. They're in the same family, but not the same mantle. Um, I think that there's a, there's a, a much higher level of importance placed on this spider family than ever before. Because, I mean, you can think of multiples. I mean, we didn't even talk about the OG. Even before Spider-Man was Spider-Woman. That's true. I believe she came out before Peter did, didn't she? Jessica, Jessica Drew? I don't know if it's before Jessica him. Drew, Jessica, whatever her name is. Jessica something. Jessica something. Jessica hey, Drew. Jessica Drew is young. 
Yeah, it helps to unmute myself. Thanks, Andrew. I appreciate you. Somebody, somebody needs to be on me here. So I don't know if Spider-Woman came before Spider-Man or not. I, I'm not sure. Remember, she's a Hydra sleeper cell agent. Tony's nodding his head as yes. Tell you, man. See, I, I, I know a few I, things I'll be talking I about. I know you do. I know you do. So let, let's get into some Spider-Man stories. Let's talk some of the best ones out there because we need to wrap this up. We're getting long and this episode's running too long as it is. And we got, you know. Tony's going to start telling me, cut it, man. It's enough. Well, <laughs> run through your five because, uh, again, you are much better at the actual stories than I am. Like, I know about all of them. I've read uh, probably all the ones you've read, right. but you are much better at remembering the actual stories. So all I'll right. go with you. So I got actually two honorable mentions here just because one of them I want to mention is uh, the death of Spider-Man. It's an honorable mention for me because it's not – it's going to confuse some new people because it's not the Earth 616 Spider-Man. It's the Ultimate Universe Spider-Man. And so it does throw people a little bit because they see Peter in the other universe all the time. But this story of Peter Parker's demise in the Ultimate Universe, where he basically succumbs to just this beatdown from Norman Osborn, uh, Craven, uh, Doc... Well, no, actually, Norman kills Doc Ock as this is going along. But that whole thing, you know, that was, to me... It was like Marvel's kind of... It wasn't their response to Death of Superman because I think Death of Captain America came before Death of Spider-Man. But if you're telling me that last panel where Peter dies in MJ's arms isn't a complete ripoff of Superman dying in Lois Lane's arms, then I don't know what you're watching or reading. But that being that notwithstanding, it's a great story. It's fantastic. The lead up to everything and, and, and Peter going through... You know, he's struggling with his relationship with Gwen, he's struggling with his relationship with MJ. He kind of resolves that just in time for him to die. It's a great story. I highly recommend Death of Spider-Man, the story arc. I don't know, Ray, if you've read this one or not. Is that the Death of Spider-Man that brought in Miles? Yes. That's the important yes. thing, is Miles takes up the mantle for Peter. And, and, and you know, in the Ultimate Universe, the superheroes actually stay dead. Peter never comes yes. back in the Ultimate Universe. It's just Miles... Miles ends up coming to 616 Universe. Right, exactly. So it was important to kick off Miles Morales' career. Uh, the other honorable mention I want to talk about is <coughs> it's a story called uh, The Kid Who Collects Spider-Man. Now, I don't know if you've read this one or not. This one is about a terminally ill child who his biggest wish is to meet Spider-Man. And he meets Spider-Man. And as as they're talking and, and they're you know kind of exchanging stories about stuff, this kid asks peter to reveal his identity and as you know peter is really guarded about revealing his identity but he does reveal who he is to this kid and justin you know and the kid succumbs and that sort of thing because he's terminally ill but it's it's a really heartwarming story and it shows a different side of peter a little bit that he realizes there's something bigger here at work than him guarding his identity and protecting the people he loves this kid asks him for it and he gives it up it's a really, it's you know, it's not one of the more well-known stories, but it's one that's really, really good. And I mean, it gives you some insight into Peter and it's really heartwarming and it's all that sort of stuff. It's like a Disney Pixar movie in Spider-Man form. So a positive comic story for once? Yes. Wow. With a, you know, of course the kid dies, but you know, it is positive and along the way, that sort of thing. Um, well, compared to the stuff we're about to talk about, it's a lot better. That's true. My number five Spider-Man story is uh, Spider-Man and This Be My Destiny. 
this is the one where he's, uh, I think like this is one, if I remember correctly, Aunt May gets a transfusion from Peter's blood and she doesn't do well because his blood's radioactive. Mm. And it's got one of these scenes. I think it's, uh, I think he's fighting Doc Ock or something like that. But it's got one of these scenes where he's buried under a bunch of construction material and, and rubble oh, and stuff. That, like. That's yeah. the one. That's the one. The, and if, for those of you who, who don't know what he's talking about, if you've ever seen Spider-Man Homecoming, when he's fighting Vulture and he's stuck underneath all the rubble and he's talking to himself like, I can't do this anymore. And then he has to pep himself up and he's like, I am Spider-Man and lifts the shit up. Like that iconic moment. Yep. That comes from this story. That's right. It's a great story. It's one you should check out. Most of the stuff we're going to talk about. Great panel. Yeah. Great panel. Most of the stuff we're going to talk about has been translated into the movies in some respect or another. Um, the number four story is the death of Jean DeWolf. I don't know if you've read this one. This one's really, she's like one of the Spider-Man characters. She doesn't get killed by a supervillain. She gets killed by a serial killer. And I think uh, this is the one where Spidey goes and, and tracks her down, which and, and I believe like when he actually finds a serial killer, he's going to take him out. Daredevil gets involved and kind of like beats Spidey's ass in this thing to kind of like, you know, say you can't do it that way. Um, it's extraordinarily powerful because you're used to thinking, okay, supervillains are going to be the ones to take out these integral characters. That's not really what happens here. And, and it's, it's a, it's a fascinating story. It's a good look at, at kind of like, and then, and then Spidey has to basically redeem himself by rescuing daredevil and this serial killer from some other shit that's going on. But the, the part that I really liked, it's the interaction between Spider-Man and Daredevil because Daredevil's kind of always been a bit of a, a dick towards Spidey in places mm -hmm. because in Daredevil's mind, he's trying to teach him something. He's trying to teach him a lesson. He realizes, even though he doesn't know his identity for sure, this is a kid I'm dealing with. I need to mm -hmm. teach him something. So Daredevil's always doing that. And, and Daredevil beats Spider-Man because he basically uses Spidey's anger and frustration against him. And Daredevil's good at that. But this is a, it's a very powerful story. A good one to read. I recommend that one. Um, number three on my list is Spider-Man No More, which is, this is where, I don't know if you guys have read this one. This is where Peter basically gets to the point where he's frustrated with the fact that nobody appreciates him. Nobody respects him. He's been cast as a criminal. He's been cast as an outcast. So he basically takes a Spider-Man suit and dumps it in the trash. And that scene was taken straight and transferred to Spider-Man 2. Even the, I mean, the iconic of the Spidey costume in the trash was taken right there. Of course, Spidey gets has to be brought back into the fold because shit goes wrong. But it, it, it's I love the story just because Spidey wrestling with the whole concept of, you know, these people don't give a shit about me. Why should I give a shit about them? I'm out of here. And him wrestling with that and, and it, it really kind of personalizes Peter's perspective and Spider-Man's perspective. That's my number three. My number two and number one, I mean, they're almost interchangeable. You could switch them around. My number two is the night Gwen Stacy died. Uh, I mean, this is, this is of course, they did, I thought Spider-Man, the Amazing Spider-Man 2, got this kind of right. Where Gwen... The, 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 the actual scene? Yeah, the actual part. scene. The actual scene. Not the rest of it. No, hell no, Ray. Not the rest yeah. of it. But the scene where Gwen dies, they got that right. This is how Gwen dies in this thing. And, and I mean, Gwen Spidey's first love... And the important thing about the story is they didn't do shit like this back in the day. They didn't kill off central characters like this, especially not somebody as important as Gwen Stacy. You never saw that. 
And I think and, uh, Norman Osborn dies in this one as well, doesn't he? He gets impaled by his glider in the night. Norman Gwent. does because it's, it's Harry that kills. Right, right. It's Harry that kills uh, Gwen, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So Harry dies, and, and, and it's the impaling on the glider, which we saw in the first Spider-Man. So you see elements of the story portrayed in the uh, in the movies a lot. But yeah, this one was supremely powerful because you just, characters didn't die. Central characters didn't die, and they went there with this one. And it's that, it's Spidey's battle with the goblin, it's all that stuff rolled into one. It's it's it, simply fantastic. I, Go ahead, Ray. It, it also further goes to the, the reasoning why Spider-Man doesn't let people know who he is. Right. Because of that fear of, with great power comes great responsibility, and my responsibility is more important than my personal life. So I can't let you, I can't let people know because if they know who I am, they'll come after the people that hurt me. And very clearly, the one person. Now, of course, we, we've come to know Mary Jane as his greatest love, but it was Gwen Stacy for a long time. And um, yeah, I think the, the cold part about this is that even though uh, Green Goblin tried to, Green Goblin was, was trying to kill Gwen Stacy, ultimately, Peter ended up killing her. Yeah, inadvertently, but he still, it was still his action that took her out, man. But like you're saying, Gwen was Peter's first love, you know? Uh, my number one story of all time, Patrick already knows this. I've talked about it with him. It's Craven's Last Hunt. It's Best story ever. I mean, yes, sir. this thing is, it's not easy. For the newbies out there, it is not an easy story to read or to digest because it's complex. Craven basically is one of Spidey's biggest enemies, beats him. Beats his ass, sedates him, buries him. Now, that's not bad enough, because then he assumes Spider-Man's identity, goes and fucks with his relationship with MJ, decides he's going to try and step into Spidey's shoes, and along the way, Craven realizes that Peter's idea of what a hero is doesn't jive with him so much that he has a crisis of conscience, and he kills himself. And, and sp- meanwhile, Peter unburies himself from this whole shithole that he's in just in time to kind of he does it's not him he's not the one who beats craven craven takes himself out it is one of the weirdest stories to read it's and i think he's also like uh fighting peter's fighting vermin spider-man's fighting vermin in the sewers and shit like that probably yeah i think that's what's going on i mean this story is it's got everything but it's got that stuff at the end where craven you kind of get i don't know if you can get into his head because it's not a good place to be but man he just can't deal. I, I know what you thought of it, Ray. He can't deal with Peter's idea of right and wrong. It just it doesn't he can't harmonize it so much that he takes his own life. It's it's a fascinating read, but a t- tremendous story. Well, Craven as a as a human being is a very um he's he's very strong in his own values, right? In his own belief system. Which is why he is, in since I mean, I'm not even going to disrespect him by calling him a bounty hunter, but you know, he is he he is who he is, right? Um, so the one thing about Craven was always the hunt, the conquest. It's always about the next hunt. Well, when he when he got his hunt and he won, he got his game and he handled his game. Of course, I you know, a guy like Craven thinks, well, I can do this better than he did. And to have his whole belief system that he's created and concocted flipped. Like, Craven's the type of character that's going to have this epiphany and all of a sudden be a good guy. He's not Eddie Brock. 
He is not going to all of a sudden be like, you know what, I should probably do better. No. This is what I believe. If this is wrong, then I don't need to be here. It is a very striking, it is a very visceral panel. It's a very visceral story. But it goes to show, what I love about it the most is, is that Spider-Man is not invincible. And it's one thing for these guys to get down and to lose a battle, but not the war. Peter Parker lost the war. You said it yourself. Peter Parker never beat Craven. Craven gave up. Um, and I think that's that's what makes it so different than so many of these other stories because in every other story, Peter gets the upper hand and vanquishes the vanquishes the evil doer. No, Craven was like, no, I can't do this no more. No, you're absolutely right. It's a fascinating story because yeah, Peter doesn't win. He he wins by default. Basically, he survives. He survives. If you can call suicide default, then yeah, Peter survives that thing. But those are my top stories. Ray, you got any other ones that stand out really with you as far as uh, stuff you want to talk about? Um, but in particular, Spider-Man stories, no. I like a lot of the overarching stories, so I'd, I'd venture you guys to go read either one of the, the uh, either one of the um, Civil Wars. He's massively integral in that. Um, read any story that involves Spider-Man or Deadpool because it is hilarious. And if you like fun in your comic reading... You'll enjoy that fun. And even even some of the panels with Spider-Man and Daredevil are fun because Daredevil is kind of like that big brother that doesn't want to be the big brother, but has to be the big brother. Um, but Spider-Man is so lar- long-ranging, and he's in, in, involved in so many stories. I like old Peter Parker when he gets rich. You know, Those are some fun stories, too, because, like again, we're talking about belief systems. His belief system has changed. Because now... You know, I'm not broken out here trying to trying to get it. I'm essentially the man. I'm not gonna do the same things I did before. Um, you know, he always kind of looked up to Iron Man, but kind of didn't like how Iron Man worked, and then he becomes, in a sense, another form of Iron Man. So there's a lot of a lot of like a lot of really interesting Spider-Man stories, but I think the two that if you are going to call yourself a Spider-Man fan and you like to read comics, you have to read Craven's Last Hunt, the night when Stacy died. Those two stories, I think, and and even the story, um, I can't remember the name of it, but the one with him finding himself and lifting up the rubble. Like those stories in a, in a, in a nutshell tell you who that character is. Yeah, and I think Spider-Man No More is, I just recalled, I think that's the one that leads to the introduction of Kingpin. Because while Spidey's gone, Kingpin rises to power. And Kingpin's the one who brings him back. I think that's the one I'm thinking of. I can't remember everything. Anyway, guys, that's it for the comic spotlight. First time that Ray got to do one of those. Hope you enjoyed it, Ray. Kind of a deep dive into these two characters, two of the most iconic characters that there are. I don't know if I loved it more than Tony and Andrew did, but I loved it. <laughs> I don't think Tony said a word. He's just he's just busy doing the live studio audience thing. And Andrew chimed in with his expert opinion on Spider-Man. That's going to do it for this episode of Bandwagon Nerds, fellas. Uh, before we cut out of here, we got Royal Rumble and stuff to deal with today. Why don't you let the people know where can they check you out? Let's start off with the one and only Mr. Russia, Andrew Belaz. Where can people check you out at, my friend, and all the stuff you got going on? You can find Andrew at the bottom of a bottle of vodka. No, he's, he's, <laughs> the vodka's okay, but you can find me on communist Twitter, Bob. This is like little bird like to talk words. It's okay. It's a fine time. IWC War Chief. Maybe I should turn it to IWC Comrade or something like that. I'm not even sure. I figure it out. 
or maybe it's IWCCP, comrade. There we go. There we bring out the USSR. We bring it all backwards. I have a whole uh, anvil in red behind me and sickle and hammer and all that other stuff next time. Um, but no, IWC Warchief on Twitter. I will be writing stuff on Chairshot because we're going to be having New Japan's New Beginning Tour. The good shows actually just started yesterday and I covered that. And then next week we're going to have another one. Probably not the Road 2s, but Adam will be covering Royal Rumble today. So because it's it's WWE. So of course I'm not covering that. Psh, of course not. I might watch it, but yeah. I'm not going to cover it. Come on. That's it. <laughs> anyway, so uh, yeah, check out thechairshot.com for whatever I decide to cover because it's most likely not WWE and definitely not ROH. And probably not AEW either. PC Tunney, where can people find you on the Twitterverse? Follow me at PC Tunney, and if you did not listen to Chairshot Radio this Monday morning, you should go back and listen for your chance to qualify to win your very own free Chairshot t-shirt. Mr. Reverend Ray Cash, where can people check you out at? Uh, tonight you can find me at JWhiteNZ. After tonight, <laughs> you can find me at uh, It's Ray Cash, R-E-Y as in Mysterio, C-A-S-H as in Dollars. Let's go Switchblade. Um... And yeah, we'll see. oh yeah, bandwagon nerds at bandwagon nerds. How about how about you boys? Yeah, there you go at bandwagon nerds. You can also check me out on Twitter at attitude ag and on facebook.com slash attitude of aggression. That is going to do it for this episode, folks. Next week the '90s project begins. Patrick will be back. Until then, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's the from Russia with booze. Yeah, That's not. I don't mean alcohol. I mean like boo, as in the words that people say when they uh, they displease something. That is what I'm talking about. Yeah, Patrick, it's <laughs> a tough crowd here, man. You better get your ass back here next week. But until then, everybody climb out of the basement, maybe. Unless you're where Andrew is and there's a foot of snow, get some fresh air. Go watch, go read some of these comics, read some of these Green Lantern and Spider-Man stories, by all means. Until next week, we will check you guys out. Enjoy the Rumble if you're watching it. Have a good week. See you soon. Is he strong? Listen, bud. He's got radioactive blood. Can he swing from a thread? Take a look overhead. Hey there, there goes a Spider-Man. In the chill of night, at the scene of a crime, like a streak of light, he arrives just in time. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Wealth and fame, he's ignored. Action is his reward to him. Life is a great big bang up. Wherever there's a hang up, you'll find the Spider-Man. What? I need a reason. <laughs> I don't say money. Why do this? Why not do it? Because yesterday I walked out of the joint after losing four years of my life and your cold decking teen beat cover boys. Because the house always wins. Play long enough, you never change the stakes, the house takes you. Unless, when that perfect hand comes along, you bet big and then you take the house. 
been practicing this speech. A little bit, did I rush? It felt like I rushed. No, it was good. I liked it. Team B thing was harsh. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.